Hello, what's up? What's up? Welcome to the One Inch Barrier. I am your host, Juan Carlos Ohano. Again, I hope you're all staying safe and staying healthy. Um, we're now back to regular programming. Um, but next Sunday, uh, this Sunday, actually, there's going to be the third bonus episode. So tomorrow, be on the lookout on which film that is uh, for the bonus episode discussing the 2018 foreign language film nominees, as it was called at the time. All right, but for this episode, we're back to the 70s. We are going to talk about the film that won Best Foreign Language Film at the 47th Academy Awards. That film is Amarcord, co-written and directed by Federico Fellini. So this was Italy's 7th win and 14th nomination, not including the honorary awards that Italy received prior to the competitive category of foreign language film. So for a quick summary... The film is basically a series of like vignettes about the life of uh, several people in a remote town of Borgo San Giuliano um, in 1930s Italy, you know, which is in the rise of fascism. But I think if we're going to try to find like, something that's closest to a central story, it's about... Um, a young man named Tita who gets into trouble um, frequently because of his behavior. And then he really observes uh, the townspeople. Um, yeah, that is how I summarize <laughs> our chord because it really is, um, I don't know, slices of several lives. So more on that later when we discuss the film already. So that's our chord. So our guest for this episode is from the United States. He's a film writer um, contributing at the Film Experience. So yay, the Film Experience. I'm so happy to have him here. Please welcome Nick Taylor. Hi, Nick. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello, hello. And thank you so much for having me. I know I've said this at least 20 times since you extended this invitation, but I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, and I think... I. I can kind of remember the time I in, I invited you was very off the cuff. Like I think we were having like a random Zoom call. Like, hey Nick, you want to be on my podcast? And like, it yeah. won this year. Okay, and then you know, I just like, oh, you know, it was just really wonderful. Like, you know, it, it wasn't a struggle, and yeah. I'm so happy that it wasn't because it's. Uh, I'm really happy that you were really open to the idea. Um, how are you doing these days? I am doing pretty well. I am a couple, I think I'm a week away from the um, two-week grace period for my second vaccine. By the time everybody, this is released, by the time this is released, I should be, have my thesis submitted and will be very close to, like, almost at the graduation ceremony for my program. I'm a graduate student at the University of Chicago for their film program, and I cannot wait to be um graduated and to have my degree and to just start hunting for jobs it's gonna be great um i can't wait to be an adult this is gonna be wonderful yay yeah yay, yay. Oh and gosh. i'll get back to doing hopefully more regular writing for the film experience um just to because i haven't been as active there lately what i normally do for them is i will like they have the supporting actress Smackdown series and for the previous season I did a lot of contributing articles about other women who maybe were not likely to have been nominated although some of them certainly should have been but people who were not 
nominated that I felt like, okay, but what about them? What about Eleanor Parker and The Sound of Music, which is, I think, the most ridiculous mm-hmm. non-nominee I've written about, like, of all the people in that movie, not to get nominated her. Um, but, like, you know, just going over those years, and I will be continuing to do so for their upcoming season, which will be the last season of it, and then I do some writing on the side for myself at my I have a WordPress called it's just like the movies.com and I oh and I also did coverage of the Chicago the previous Chicago Film Festival um for the film experience as well the festival before that I was an employee but that's not really happening anymore (laughs) um that was I think the program I was involved in got shut down for like we don't need this for the the pandemic I haven't really investigated too much but I just know they didn't call me for this year and that's fine and I'm, you know, they ran, got a lot of good movies last year and hopefully they will continue to keep doing well. And that is, I think, most of my professional experience of late is just that, right? Like writing for Nathaniel and writing for my school. And um, if I may also extend you a quick compliment, I really like a lot of the stuff that you've written for Nathaniel as well. Just, I really loved, like very nice, um, like defense piece for Glenn Close and Hillbilly Elegy and your thing on Call Me By Your Name I thought was really wonderful and what that movie means to you. This is maybe stuff we should have saved for the, the warm-up chat but I just wanted to say like because I don't know that we were talking as much then but I just want to let you know that I love the two articles a lot. Oh, thank you. I mean huh. Aww. You just know. to like butter you up before we talk about these movies because I don't know what you think of them and I don't want to be really defensive. So it's really <laughs> I think you're great. Whatever we think of these, I think you're great. Oh, oh I mean, I'm bad at um, taking compliments, but I take them anyway. Thank you. I mean, <laughs> I don't believe oh, that. One second. What? Oh, I mean, uh, those articles, I mean, the articles that, I mean, I also like to say, I, I would really love to get back to more writing in the film experience. I'm so sorry. This is like, this is my life. Um, <laughs> but um, I, the film experience is really such a good place to not just read stuff, but also write stuff and to get to interact with the different writers there. Um, mm-hmm. Made some really good um, conversations with other writers as well. And I'm excited for the next uh, few months because it's the Emmy season. Yeah. And wink wink i'm not allowed to say more but that's just a wink wink um i am really looking forward to seeing more of your writing and the film experience and uh um, seeing more of yours i uh-huh. also say that even though you've been writing less i've been enjoying just the podcast like this has been really fun to listen to thank you all right <laughs> so um can you tell our listeners where can they find you on the internet Okay. Um, well, I, the, I am at, on Twitter at Nick T double O seven, eight, three, um, N I C K. Um, I don't know if that needed to be spelled out, but just in case, um, I have a WordPress called it's just like the movies.com. I think I said that like a minute ago, but I'll repeat as much as I need to for those clicks. <laughs> it's not super active, but it might be soon. Um, wink. And I am on Film Experience, um, and you can probably find me under their like team members page. And I think that's it as far as like me on the internet. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm here. Yeah. yeah. Yay! You're here. So. And I'm happy um, to be here. <laughs> yeah. So we're both buttered up. We're all we're all yes. oiled up. We're good. I'm Let's get to, started. To... Yes. Um. Yeah. With Amor Cord. Um. It's. I don't know what you feel about this. I am terrified to talk about this film. I admit that on the record, I am scared because. <laughs> When you get a film that is constantly hailed as one of the best in the world without even knowing what it's about. Yep. Yeah, you know, there are certain expectations. Like, it's, 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 it's almost impossible to go in without any expectations. Like, when it's almost like it's a... Unless you know nothing about world cinema, but then that's a, that's the purest way of watching a film. Like it's a discovery, but with this one, you're either expecting it to be good or either tempering yourself so that you would be ready for disappointment. Either way, there's already uh, the precedent that unfortunately kind of takes away the the discovery factor, the pleasure of like watching something that you don't know, but clicks with you or doesn't click with you, but yeah. it's like a first time interaction. Um, so Amarcord Fellini, is this your first Fellini? No, I watched Ivy Deloney. Um, I think sometime last year for a class and I remember liking it a lot, but also I think I have like, getting used to a new corner of world cinema and especially a new auteur. I think I was definitely like, I'm very into this, but this is a lot of like filmmaking and like time and era specific style that is new to me. And I know that this is something that I would like to like revisit once I get a better handle on like, not just Italian cinema generally, but who Fellini is specifically. So I think um, I, I remember liking it a lot, but I'm also, you know, I'm sure you felt this like you enjoy a movie, but you're excited to watch it again and really like kind of wrangle with it a little bit more. And um, so that is the only one I have seen. Um, Eight and a half has been judging me every time I pass it by on like Canopy and the Criterion Channel. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is. I mean, it's the first time I've seen Amarcord, and it's the second Fellini movie I've ever seen. Which I don't. I don't know that seeing one Fellini is enough to gear you for everything that this is doing um how about you is this your first Fellini movie so um like what i've said in the previous episodes uh, this is the things that i look forward to it's going to be my first it's this is my first Fellini Ooh. um and next week it's going to be like my third Truffaut and then the next week would be like my second Bunuel so i'm like in the early stages of these grades I guess I'm doing things backwards, so like this is a good structure of the show. Um, what do you think of Amarcord? I think I really loved it. Uh-huh. I Earth like just like it's a very strange blend of tones that this is doing for the whole time. Like it's and I think I kept expecting that it might eventually like or my fear was that it would just click into a like it would like lose some of them and click into a certain mode of being where it would just sort of like dissipate into thin air. But it's really I was I just thought it was really gorgeous and that it kept up a lot of different ideas about the 
the town and the people that it was about without seeming less like i don't know if complicated is the right word because it doesn't really like i don't know that any of these people come across as like full characters but it certainly feels like there's a very rich history that this movie is telling us or like this cert like it starts off with like these are like I don't even remember all of the stuff that the narrator at the beginning says. Like, these are, like, proud, like, full-of-life people, and they have all these traditions, and it's it's a very kind of funny introduction. And then he also is arguing with somebody off-screen, and it's just, like, there's something about that that I just thought was very, um, just very, like, watchable and very fun. And it's, um, I think I keep learning the more I watch movies by these greats from this certain era, from like the 70s and going back that like oh it's like i think there's a certain perception of like high art as being so imperceptible in a certain way or you need to know the grammars and the languages to really understand it and i guess that's not entirely wrong but there's also like a good amount of this movie that's just like heart jokes and mm-hmm. guys being really horny and it's like oh this yes like, you could show this to anybody i feel and they would probably like, even if they didn't like it, they'd get it. They'd be on its wavelength. they know what was happening. So this was just, I was just surprised at how much I was, like, totally in the tank of it, even if I was not, even if I was trying to, like, grab onto it a little bit, like, figure out, okay, what is, what even is this? Yeah, um, I just, I just heard myself when you said, like, about horny boys, and I'm like, yes, I cheered, and, like, I sounded like a pervert. Um, but, you know, I would, you know, I would piggyback something on what you said. I liked what you said about rich history. Um, I didn't expect this one to be so. I'm struggling to find the words. It's. I, I don't know. I don't know if anecdotal is the right word. Um, because. The, like I said, the film is composed of small stories, different characters. Not that they are separate from one another, the stories, but they are intertwined continuously. And the characters, several characters have several interactions with one another. But there isn't really this one overarching narrative that sustains it. Um, so I come in with the film with not one way in. Um, it, when you read the summaries in the internet, it sounds like, you know, it's a story about Tita, which it kind of is, but also yeah. the film is so generous in its focus on the different characters that make this story really colorful. I felt, um, such compli- I'm gonna say complicated, complicated emotions because it feels like, um... This film has a beating heart. I I felt it that um, there is this genuine interaction with memory. It's it, it feels full blooded meditation and memory, not just as an idea, but going back to memories as an experience. It's both reminiscing and ridiculing, um, which is. I think a, a tough thing to do well, especially when you put it in film that, you know, when you're trying to strike different tones and like, how could I, how could I make fun of someone 
and also show endearment towards it. And I felt Amarcord was that, you know, it was getting that in how it depicted the several characters um, in the story and how it continuously shifted and shifted and shifted. There isn't really this one narrative that we go back to despite what the internet would say. <laughs> um, yeah. How do you feel about this structure of the vignettes? I liked, I liked it. And like, there is the very loose, like the sort of seasonal thing. Like it ends with the, like it starts and ends with like the big pyres in the middle of town. Um, there's like, I appreciate that little like connective structure, although it didn't seem overly, reliant on it or you at least got it kind of felt like they could jump in at any different point or you could like it seems like there are a lot of stories happening around the ones that we get which i thought was really nice and i like yeah i like the vignette structure i like the way that the way it sort of reuses or excuse me incorporates certain characters where like you could i can imagine a version of this that like you're saying like online descriptions that are framed a lot around Peta, but you could also imagine a lot around his father or just his family or that very, like, like the gaggle of guys that he is around who all seem like they are a completely different age from each other, even though they're all in the same class. Like, they all, I like that they're, I like what you said, that there's, like, you know, like, it's sort of, about these certain characters but it also feels like we get a full sense of this whole community and we just get to see who maybe like the characters that Fellini thinks are the most interesting or like at this particular point they're doing something that he wants us to see um and I think the actual stories are like some of them feel pretty self-contained like the one with the uncle who um runs away from yeah. the from the um their family play date and then <laughs> from the mental asylum and then he goes into a tree and he talks about like just wanting a woman it's like all right buddy um and, like that felt like it didn't necessarily have anything to do with anything but was it kind of nice to be there in the moment yeah and it's i like that it's able to balance these sort of here's just like a kind of day in this family, but also have spectacles like the the fascist pageant, like like in the second, I believe it's in the second segment. It's I think like the one before the uncle and it keeps flashing like different fantasies of all the youths who are like participating in it. Like I love the cutaways to that one kid who keeps trying to get with the, the one girl in class who keeps rebuffing him and he is, fantasies shifting from whether he wants to be with her or not is like very funny but it's also able to you know it's not just using the fascist stuff for spectacle and it's not just using the the, the asylum or the dwarf nuns for spectacle i mean if it certainly feels like there's a lot of character coming into that but it's not caricature like you said yeah um the thing is like you know um i agree you know uh, we don't really get to know deep stuff about these characters but they also function like they're actual human beings despite the stylized um tone of the film so um and also it's 
it's in keeping with the film's structure. So even when we go to this, it feels like a segue, you know, with the uncle that goes on the top of the tree and says he wants a woman. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't bother. I mean, actually, the second half of the film, I noticed that. I don't know if it's an accurate uh, note, but I felt that um, because the film keeps um, shifting focus, it kind of slows down in the second half. Not necessarily mm -hmm. the pace, but on how it transfers from one sub-story to another. And mm -hmm. um, But regardless of that, the thing is that with the vignettes that we get, the, s the sense of community gets really strong. And at some point, it's also very strong in mood. So yes. at some point, I... It didn't bother me that there wasn't really this one story. I just was fascinated in following the people here. You know, um, there we would get the scene, like, for example, the confession where the boys are going to confession with a priest um, because um, they love jerking off. But, <laughs> um, you know, but the way that the... The way that scene was staged and how ridiculous it was, like the priest was preempting, like, well, are you are you abusing yourself? And then when the <laughs> next one is coming, like, no, 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 it's like you're forgiven. And then the third one is like, no, 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 wait, 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 I'm fixing the the flowers. <laughs> so you know, it's so specific that I don't mind that I am not necessarily following a story. It's so decided on that structure that that's what hooked me is because I will never know what's going to come next. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Not. In one scene, we would be seeing them trying to bully a, a student on um, solving a math problem by having this long tube made of paper. And then the one of the students would pee from the back of the classroom and go there and then, not not literally, but the following scene, we could get something like, um, the, is it Volpina, the 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 town, the, the girl at the town who's like always like starving for sex and roaming around, yeah. yeah. And then we would get like her going to a construction site, and then the following scene, uh, or like it can be next to, uh, is it Tita fantasizing about Gardiska? And the cinema, like he says, he's coming yes. closer. So yes. yeah, uh, these scenes, they they just flow when they are compounded from together, and it gives a deeper. I mean, you know, um, they're fun taken separately, but it gives a different meaning once they're together because, um, it's as if. I'm not going to presume what Fellini was thinking or how he was making it, but it's as if it's someone reminiscing the past, mm -hmm. but not impose, but really reminiscing it, you know, trying to ca recapture the sensibility that, the, you know, you know, the immaturity at the time, the sensibility, the ridiculousness of it, the absurdity, mm -hmm. recapturing it. And also making fun of the characters, but not with hate, but mm -hmm. with endearment.
but he's also not beholden to paint anyone someone they're not that's why the very specific moments really work it's it it feels sincere and pure even the scenes that are on the verge of fantasy you know when when there's this a uh, parade for il duce and then one of the the, the one of the classmates you know he he's imagining himself as young fascist and then this parade becomes like a wedding yeah. I love those moments when you know you don't necessarily know these people that well, but you're getting something so sincere. Mm-hmm. A human moment. It's so such pure expression. I think there's a really lovely way that it balances the sort of heightened tone or presentation, like what you're talking about, the way it seems like genuinely nostalgic without seeming like super like it doesn't feel like the sort of looking back where um like oh like he's looking back at his childhood from like this like aged perspective and he has maybe different thoughts or like is trying to remember in a certain way like there's something that feels very earnest about it or like funny but not necessarily mocking but then when you get these sort of fantasy sequences like that or when they're talking about um like Gradiska's different like speculated like origin stories of how she sort of became like who she was and it's like these this ridiculous like what is it like a sheik who comes in with his 30 brides and then she sort of sneaks in or there's some oh that might be a different there's just like a lot of or the the wedding that you talk about like there's the there are just so many moments where when this sort of fantasy happens that it feels expression of like you know what these people want or what they think of themselves and like what they their hopes that it kind of makes the balance of like absurdity and a little bit of like comedy and grotesquery and the like the whole rest of the movie i feel like it sort of brings into relief how much effort is going into that because the whole movie could just be like a fantasy sequence and it just definitely isn't but it's still able to have like all these different um tones and different moods or like i think a really good scene that maybe feels like it's going to tip into fantasy but it just really it doesn't go there at all is when Peta is in the shop with the the very busty woman near yes. the end that's a very that scene, the the moods of that scene felt very different as it sort of goes from, you know, the dare to lift her up and then she gets, he wears himself out really quickly and keeps going and she gets really turned on and it doesn't seem like either of them were expecting it to go that way even like two seconds before it started happening. But just the whole, every single thing about that interaction I thought was just really... Like I don't, I can't think of a right word because I don't even know how. There's to the right word for that scene. It's just it's a, <laughs> if I don't like it. Yeah, it's just I I truly can't even think of a word for it. Not be, even because it's like not well done, but because the sort of shifting of how much either party wants what's happening or wants to be there or the resolution of it feels like it's just so like the thrill is just almost instantly gone once it, the transgression happens, but it's like 
it's just so like you just need to keep up with it and then you just need to sit with it but it's not going to like let you it's not going to tell you if that was necessarily like just like there's not like regret or like retroactive victory tension to it it feels very in the moment yeah and it's just like you just have to kind of figure out what you're thinking and what these people are thinking while it's happening yeah it's it's a it's it's not one thing when we get to experience it and i i i, I love that scene because it's just oh like it's so wonderfully directed you know when when it came it's yes. almost like it's it's as if because he wants he really wants to try to get with the with the tobacco seller <laughs> mm -hmm. um but then he tries and then you know you know the woman gets turned on and then when the woman really gets turned on like it's almost as if like this is sexier in theory than in practice <laughs> because he starts choking in the breast like right, you have to go and then you know and we just experience it and the film at some points plays it up and sometimes doesn't even let you dictate like what are you feeling right now yeah and that is i think more memorable it's more striking because those moments stay with you like not for guilt or anything but then i realize like wait wait why did i laugh again and it's not just uh it's not even to laugh at but to laugh with the film because yes. i think the film is really conscious about it um there is this uh consciousness that the film has in depicting these things that it shows like the you know the juvenile horniness you know there's a lot of horny the, the women are horny the men are horny but it's it's still in this lens of uh, i don't know there is this it's it, it's it's as if the horniness is still fun because i don't know um it's it's it, it's in keeping with how the characters see it and how the overall film even approaches uh, sex and you know even and how it shows women because you know it's it's about it's mostly a lot of the time where we spend a time with the young boys and really horny they jerk off together they try to think of like who to jerk off to and yep. they tell their stories like sex stories and they try to like challenge them like, I want to get this woman I'm gonna get get this. Um, <laughs> And you know, because because of that, we see the women in their perspective, but it's not necessary for me at least. I don't know. It's it's a formalist thing. One can read another way, but for me at least, it doesn't just go into the rabbit hole of immediately objectifying the women because it's consciously depicting the absurdity that the way these boys are objectifying the women yes and it helps that the women don't really act like how they imagine or how they want them to act when they do finally get to talk to a woman like the whole what we were just saying about the scene with the tobacco selling like that doesn't go at all how Peter wants but he's still and now he knows that she's not just the fantasy that she has of him or the um, or that he has of her, or um, the scene where he goes to Gradiska in the movie theater and she is just completely 
uninterested in him and just wants to watch the fucking movie and even the scenes where we get to see her like sexual life or like the sort of ideas that like the different origin stories for her and she just looks very like the kind of tableaus of her like kind of getting ready for the the sheik or the sultan or whoever and she just looks like she's very giggly and very giddy and she's just sort of like it's not like sex it's not like the primary mood for her there it's like i'm really um oh my god there's a specific wanton or voracious or whatever she's just like it almost seems kind of shy when he finally gets to her after she's supposedly taken off all her clothes she's just like under the covers down to the neck so there's an like there's enough there that like the women are not just the women that are sort of treated as sex objects by the boys aren't really reduced to that in the narrative or the the ways that they are sexual beings is not really prescriptive of them or their fantasies and there's also like there's I mean, there's also other women that are not really sexualized at all but that's sort of that feels like a slightly different conversation like i don't imagine any of them are going to have thoughts about like Peta's mother or his aunt <laughs> oh no no <laughs> um yeah. yeah and with you know with, with that because uh with that sex is such a sex and sexuality and just the horniness of the characters is not necessarily the focus of the film but it's it's a strong undercurrent but because um it's also compounded with other things like the the rise of the fascism and how they I'm, I'm, listen this is like a first time watch this is me just scra scraping the surface mm -hmm. um i would never be able to like because i'm looking at the wikipedia page and there's a lot of talking about like how the sexuality and the fascism work together i'm like sir i can't but at this point it just gives like a i don't know a certain historical context which mm -hmm. also adds to the memory but also it's something that for me at least admitting that this is a first time watch it's something that i could be thinking of next time when why am i in a film where the characters are both horny and wanting to be fascists as well you know these are the things that i didn't expect would mesh not not not, not and not be taken separately but they mesh in certain points like for example they're talking about the wedding it's it's the horniness of the boy with the imagery of the fascism right there and right now i don't necessarily i can pinpoint what it means or am i even interested in deciphering its actual meaning but it's a vivid way of showing that there is much more than anecdotes there is an overarching, and I've been saying overarching because there isn't really any, that it's more thematic and it's more how you, how you, how is your reception to the film. And with this one, the fascist um, setting adds layers to it. I still don't know what exactly are the implications of that to the story maybe if you have something to say about maybe not uh, it's fine but for me it's um it is something to dig deeper to into yeah i mean i don't know that i necessarily have a lot of thoughts about that or at least not like as you know like what you were saying like maybe there is some article somewhere about how the sexuality and the fascism tie together like some of like 
there's one whole cognate portrait that this is portraying or like historical slice of life that I am not as aware of. Um, and maybe, you know, <laughs> if anybody listening to this like knows those articles, feel free to like send them. But I, I get, I, oh, I had, I had like a whole thought about this rehearsed before we started talking, but um, <laughs> like that, there is the whole pageantry of it that I think is very, like, it's a weirdly, not weirdly, but it is like a surprisingly charming interlude just to have in the middle of this whole thing. They're screaming about like, you know, long live Il Duce, like mm. they're flying like the fascist flags. And then there's just this tableau in the middle of it of like, now it's a wedding. Um, and I guess I am impressed at the way that it's sort of, I feel like there are a lot of movies that are like quite fairly about living under fascist or regimes where that's sort of the only thing it's about. And there's no time to have any other kind of living except for sort of being a survivalist. And this is like, you know, not the sort of environment where that is really a thought or a concern. And it's kind of, it is something I thought about in relation to one of the other nominees, which is about like, the characters in a fascist yeah. setting um but i like that this is able i think you said the version of this that like it's able to have like the goofiness yeah. of the whole thing without sort of sacrificing how dangerous this is and how dangerous the like the fascist rulers are and like there's the whole there is the whole pageant and then after that someone is like there someone puts up a record of what they tell us is like resistance music and then they like shoot the gramophone and they haul in Peta's dad under, I don't even remember what the suspicions are. And it's, I feel like it's unclear if it was actually him or if his rage is that he was caught or that he was implicated by somebody who should maybe know better. Um, but that whole scene where he's sort of taken in for questioning and then he's coming home and his wife is sort of nursing all of his wounds from the interrogation like that feels like legitimately sort of harrowing and I, it's able you know it's amazing that this movie is able to accommodate that sort of specter of like the very real threat that these people have towards like would-be revolutionaries or people who are even just implicated as being against them without sort of sacrificing like in the very next tableau about the um the brother about the uncle in the in the asylum and he's just like all right let's pretend we're leaving so he'll come out from the tree and it's just that i am i don't know that i can speak to the larger political portrait that the movie is about but i'm amazed that it's just able to even include that and still feel like it's telling a relatively like accurate and coherent um version of the story because i feel like there's a lot of stuff that has this sort of whimsy that really can't handle having any serious thoughts about politics or about like cultural um like you know about cultural standards or cultural politics and this is able to do that i feel without disrupting anything at all yeah um that 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 scene you know with uh with the 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 father being interrogated and then a few minutes later the townspeople are or maybe a few hours. <laughs> I don't know the, the, the time span, but um, and then 
moments later, you see them waiting eagerly for the SS Rex. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's like the biggest pride of the fascist regime. And then you're also with them sitting like as human beings excited with the developments of fascism. And but you also see the other side. And not that it's both sides sing, but mm-hmm. I don't know, it, it it gets really honest and find those the human side of those things, you know. Um when you have these such a huge spectrum of experiences to tell, how do you maintain honesty with something that could be contradicting? Mm-hmm. Those experiences are contradicting. And maybe those characters don't stand on the same thing. But then the film approaches the characters with the same... Uh, it's it's affording them the same amount of uh, beat to be taken seriously in, in as much as they're also looking ridiculous. Like, you know, being mm-hmm. serious and being serious in ridiculing something. It's mm-hmm. it's a tough thing to pull off. It's a tough thing to pull off in life. It's also a, it's a tougher in film. And I think the film does that so well. Um, you know, the, the, the fascist context of the story is um it's a layer that is permeating in a lot of aspects in the film um i mean if i may mention something you know that um the fascism and the catholic catholicism Mm -hmm. and are some of the things that are highlighted in some of the writings made about Amarcord and how ultimately these repressive or oppressive factors mm-hmm. kind of trickle down to what the film does is the mockery of what became of the people. Th- that I did not get when I watched it, but it makes sense that you have these um, things that the, 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 the context, the milieu, it was turned not just a curiosity, but something that factors into the story and how you receive it. And it's a much more complex thing because, you know, like you said a while ago, you know, there's a one film that we're going to mention later and that also depicted fascism. Um, it's that That's not saying that that's an easy film to make, but it's easier mm-hmm. to approach that subject matter when you're already decided on that way of telling it. Like, um, probably the same way that I think it's tough to make a comedy about cancer, for example. But if it's a drama, a, a, a tear-jerking drama, it, it's easier, you know. But yeah. when you complicate it with the tones, it's, it's, there's got to be more sophistication because you can easily, I don't know, defeat your own purpose. But yeah. with this one, it's clear. And, um... But it's also hinting at certain... Like for example, Gradiska ended up with a fascist officer. Yes. I don't know what I mean. It's it's a joy celebration. I don't know if I'm happy for her. <laughs> but the townspeople are happy and we're with them. So I guess I'm kind of happy too. The complicated feelings that the signifiers that are, um, have brought on me at least... I appreciate how it lets you 
think about those things and not dictate what you should be feeling or what you should be doing because that's how life it's it's i think it's a it's a more honest rendition of a communal experience you know you don't really get to decide how you approach one thing you know this is a com- this is a comedy drama absurdist at least but then mm-hmm. it touches on a lot of things you know it touches on women being sexualized by younger men men mm-hmm. uh, younger boys having this uh, insatiable reckless but immature sexual drive um, the rise of fascism and how it how it affects young boys and how it you know it goes into their head but it's all taken with this with this um tone of the drama comedy but you gotta have the sensitivity to know how to shift your gears to like which stories to tell now it, it sounds broad but it really is something that I appreciate with this one is that it feels it feels like Fellini knows his shit. That's what, that, yeah. that's yeah. That's that's a more not eloquent way to say, but you know, it's 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 tough to craft something like this. Yes. Yeah. It's incredibly, and I think there's, um, to maybe jump off of what you were just saying about like the way that it's able to not be prescriptive about the events showing us, or to be like to give pretty. What feel like so it's it's weird to say candid portrayals because so much of it feels like the the layers of like affectation make it so, like I feel like when I say candid it's more like I think of stuff that's more naturalistic than this is and it's definitely like for all the like honesty that we can put into it it definitely does not feel I wouldn't necessarily say naturalistic even if there is elements of like the photography feels very like like it doesn't really feel like stylized in any way but it's still able to capture a lot of like yeah the 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 images feel very naturalistic even if the tone isn't right um but there's something that i really like about how like it, it does have like you know the the horniness of youth and like the fascist concerns but it doesn't even feel like you know the the characters who are not the like the young boys or guys or whatever are also pretty horny and also have a lot of thoughts about sex and have a lot of ideas about like their other townspeople and they're like everybody was at the fascist parade even like as you said Gradiska and the tobacco selling woman and yeah all the boys and there's just like it's nice that it does it isn't like oh being really horny is for like the young people and then the older people are like wistfully like thinking about it or fascism is relegated to any specific person like the whole town is this mix of like ebullient aroused people who are living in this time and period that would probably naturally that would probably not naturally but would probably dictate that they are all the way in the tank for il duce and they you know are going to be experiencing this time and place in a certain way and it's not yeah like what and what i don't know if i would say a drama about fascism or a drama about cancer is easier but it's certainly a lot more familiar and there are like well there's well-worn territory to what those movies can look like and how to make them good and we will be talking about those movies and i'm sure 
everybody listening is thinking about those a version of that for themselves but yeah it it seems like and to you know and to also what we were saying earlier about the screenplay not really having any like recognizable like structure or any character to sort of like really pin our hat on is that a phrase um but it's like there it, there's really not a lot to sort of dictate how we're supposed to react to this but instead of feeling non-judgmental i think it instead i mean like it isn't asking you to like condemn anybody for anything but i think it's we've been saying a version of this but it sort of invites you to think of like how like kind of goofy or how sincere or how ridiculous or how like you know, it, it lets us think a lot of different things about these people without reducing it to good or bad and instead it's just like look at all these I mean like the school teachers who all sort of look plainly ridiculous and then some of them are more exhausted and some of them are more earnest and some of them are more just like fed up <laughs> and so like I think one is just asleep um but yeah there's just a lot of different scenes that you know, we get to think a lot of different things about these people. Yeah, and sometimes the most honest way isn't necessarily the most realistic way to approach um, yep. humanity. I mean, I, for some reason, it popped up somewhere in the, the Twitter discourse that for some reason, probably we have so much fascination with realism now. Mm. And, um, you know, I know people who like, I didn't like it because it wasn't real. Which, which means that it's fantastical or something like that. But like sometimes the most honest way is not necessarily the most realistic way. And I think um, Marcot um, unpacks this community with the playfulness that is necessary. I mean, think about it. You know, it's the the way it mm -hmm. approaches these potentially dark subject matters is um, absurdist in an off-kilter manner. And then it doesn't even have... Um, a solid like plot driven structure so it feels it might be seen as it might be taken for granted actually it's like this is a this is there's nothing here but there's so much and so um much. yeah I, that's why i am i am prescribing myself a rewatch somewhere down the line in my life mm -hmm. because i feel like there this is um someone who made a film that's lived his life and then just recounting it. And I think when you love something more, then it's easier for you to make fun of something. And I know that sounds stupid, but really because I don't feel the film, I don't feel that the film was driven by hate because it is making fun. All. It doesn't feel like it's driven of hate, but it's making fun of the town, of the characters so it's in the flip side because the film isn't necessarily making us feel antagonistic to the characters or antagonistic to anyone necessarily, but um, we just appreciate it for what it is. And it's just the recognition that this is it, you know, this is, mm -hmm. this is what the memory are, the memories are. And the title literally translates to I Remember. Um, so it's a it's a reminder really of the headspace that the film is operating in and for that you know I as someone who likes to make fun of people <laughs> I don't always do that out of hate <laughs> sometimes the, the more yeah. I make fun of people like I really love you but 
girl, you look stupid at times. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's, 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 it's not something you can easily, but it's, it's gotta be operating in a context of longevity. And I, it's for the film to achieve it in like two hours. And like, even in the first minutes where it's constantly (laughs) shifting, you already feel that. All right. These people look pretty stupid, but we're, we're not necessarily, um, on, like above them or something like that but we are yes. on the ride and um the film never really lets go of how even how far it pushes the absurdity there is a truth deep somewhere and mm-hmm. one thing i want to mention also is that um the film also feels like it wasn't recreating the past it's interacting with the past yes it absolutely is yeah um and i i love how it does that through the not the narrator exactly but the guy who sort of pops up and mm-hmm. will start telling us about the town's history and very often he's interrupted by somebody like yelling shit at him or like throwing a snowball directly at his face yeah. he's like oh fuck i thought i was in the clear like he is not removed from anything he is completely in this and he's like talking to us about the town while also interacting with it and i i like what you said that it's it it absolutely is interacting with its own past and not in a way that feels we've been saying like it's not like it's not going back and being like man we sure were like fucking idiots or whatever but it's just like or like looking back negatively but it it just feels like a very um God, I don't even know what to add to that. I think you did a very good job. So I'll also say that I think a, a maybe a way to frame the what we say with the comedy, it's not productive of anybody. Like it doesn't feel like it's ever like flattening somebody or making them seem like there's less going on than there is. It's just that like sometimes this person like did something fucking goofy or fucked up and we can laugh at that and they will probably also be laughing with it. Like I it's it feels very invested in this community without actually standing apart from it, but also not being complicit in it or being like super, like, it's not going to be like, or I don't like, it doesn't seem, you know, what we were saying about the fascist stuff, like that seems properly um, fucked up, but it's not, and it knows that, but it's not going to let that disrupt the other good times that these characters are having or suddenly after that we're in a different movie because we know that now it's like oh well this is just another thing about these people that we're going to have to think about while they're out fantasizing about their neighbors yeah doing whatever um yeah there's yeah i don't, <laughs> I don't even know what else to say it's like it's doing a lot of stuff <laughs> um it's really good at all of the stuff that it's doing and it doesn't um, I think I will also absolutely owe this a rewatch maybe once I have seen more Fellini and I can maybe get a better sense of, you know, what his just overall style is, or is this way more humanist than he normally is? Is this how he always treats his characters? I know that there are certainly other movies where he has more of like a a central protagonist, like the the one TV with Juliette Messina. I hope okay. I said that right. Um, and 
I, you're going to be watching all of those too because those were like the very first foreign language film winners like yes. so <laughs> you will definitely get the chance to see his how that changes for him and hopefully i will Backwards. be <laughs> yes watching him like retro like retrograde um so i yeah i'm just excited to watch this just also makes me i really liked watching this and it makes me excited to watch more of his stuff and hopefully um this yeah it, i don't even know what else to say i'm i'm just looking forward to also look backward into the past with federico fellini and see what the hell is going on because it's not like this was his last movie or anything like he was still working pretty regularly for another like 15 yeah. years but, but i think like considered is... like his peak yeah like this is sort of i know his other movies to get good reception but i think this is sort of yeah like this is his um i don't even know what a nice way to say like I don't know. I feel like a lot of when, like, Peter Lou, not Peter Lou, but Mr. Turner came out from Mike Lee, and everyone was like, if you don't make anything else, like, this is, like, such a magnum opus, that's it, where it's like, you don't even need to make anything else ever again. And it's like, I'm sure he probably still does want to make something else, but it's at least nice to, like, this is, like, a good, like, final statement for his career. And he did get, I'm looking just at his Wikipedia page right now, and he never got. He did get like a couple more nominations for oh and and an honorary award but this was sort of his last maybe if we want to i don't know if we want to transition into the actual award stuff but this was sort of his the last like foreign language film nomination that he ever got for italy yeah he was submitted a, a, a few other times but he never really got as much um critical success as i'm record after this i mean given that i've also like encountered him in sometime in the 80s um he was submitted afterwards um mm -hmm. just with the element of time i just want to roll back and um the film is utilizing seasons to show i mean it's not groundbreaking stuff Films use seasons to show time, but it's also in the implications of like life and death and life goes on. You know, that mm -hmm. that combination that sometimes can be tough to wrap around our heads, uh, wrap our heads around um, because it it shows the transitory nature of being in a community that people come and go literally and uh, more <laughs> like you know people mm -hmm. die people come people go people yeah. stay and yeah. it just strengthens the sense of place that mm -hmm. i had when i watched amarcord like i was i didn't feel detached uh when watching this film and which is exactly what i need um when i watch something that doesn't necessarily have a whole plot i mean i would wish that every film i watch i feel some sort of immersion but with this one it's the stakes are also higher in that because you don't have one character to invest all of the emotions and investment in this is really you're investing in a group of people and like this the snow scene is something that's one of the more i don't know nuanced quieter moments of the film with people mm -hmm. responding to the snow it's um but overall you know, um, I don't know if you have anything else to add to Amarcord, but I think it's um, it's a really beautiful work. 
that um, says so much without calling into attention that it's saying a lot. And because it's operating in a place of honesty and um, genuine uh, point of view to see this group of people. And um, I I am excited to see who this um, new filmmaker Federico Fellini is doing because yeah. with Amarcord, I am, really, yeah, he's really good. He's really coming up. It'll be, yeah. Yeah. Um, new breed. Yeah. Excited to see what this young guy's got at him. Um, yeah. Especially since the way you're progressing, he's only going to get younger. Um, I, I'll just second that I think the snow scene is incredibly beautiful and that the, I kind of even like the townspeople are sort of like skeptical about, oh, it's kind of coming a little bit early, which probably means it's going to be leaving a little bit early and then it doesn't and then it stays for like two weeks and it's like up to their heads. Yeah. Um, and like the scene of him, one of the guy, I think it's Peter, like kind of running around while someone's like driving a motorcycle through like the paths in the snow and it's like, oh my god, what the fuck is he gonna survive in these last two minutes of the movie? Um but yeah, I like what just what you said about the the ending being like just such a strong statement of community and sort of a good chance like it's interesting to see what has changed about these people but also what is maybe like still like the same about the the town as a whole even though it's like oh like there's people of like different desires and different ideas about themselves now but it's yeah it's just a consistently like very beautiful movie um i think it like even just coming down to not just the way it views people but like the the, I think the cinematography of it is really, really good at capturing this like naturalism, but also when it wants to just be ridiculously gorgeous, like the shot of the the everybody watching the uncle in the tree, it's, and then brings him down, and then it's the sunset, and you can just see like every color ever made in it. Um, like when it wants to really flex itself, it looks fantastic, and like it normally does, but just when it wants to just sock it to you with being really beautiful, like it can do that. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to end on except that just this was, or to end this part of it off. Like, I just think it was yeah. very wonderful, very beautiful. It's good. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's, it's really beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, I, I mean, I know that subsequent viewings would probably deepen the things that would come up with me, but you know, for a first time viewing, I am, I am in awe of what he was able to pull off. And I will end on that note because I know I have nothing else to say because this is a first viewing and there's so much more to look forward to once we do our rewatches with this one, but yes. good job. Good yeah. job. <laughs> yeah. Good job for Fellini. Well, <laughs> good job. Good job for him. And like, I know we were like, joking about oh i wonder what's coming up for him next but i he is somebody who i feel like i have should have probably seen one or two more of his movies by now and i'm yeah. just excited to um i'm just excited to see what else he's got um, yeah in his arsenal because it seems like he's 
yeah, there's there's just a lot to love and a lot of it feels very accessible unlike some of these other movies that we'll be talking about. So um, yeah, I'm just nothing but like smiles for the future, hopefully. Yeah, respects for this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Cambiavo posto. Cambiavo ancora posto. Cambiavo ancora. E finalmente. All right, so let's talk about how Amarcord um, won, I think. Uh, yeah, so it premiered in Italy in December 18 of 1973. And then it screened in Cannes out of competition in May 9. And it screened in the United States in September 19. Again, this was Italy's seventh win and 14th nomination, not including the honorary awards it has received. Um, it was nominated for the Golden Globe. It won a National Board of Review. It won a Kansas. And it won in the New York Film Critics Circle Best Film and Best Directing. And it was also nominated for Directing and Original Screenplay in 1975. This is the last year. Uh, no, 75 was the last year where a film can be nominated in two Oscar years. And Amarcord is the last film to do that. It was nominated and it won for in language film in 74. And nominated for directing and original screenplay in 75. Um, well, what do you think of that rule that doesn't allow... Uh, that Only one year for films to appear at the Oscars. Uh, we mentioned this a little bit in like the, the run-up. I... I understand it, I guess. Um, and I mostly I've just been thinking about it in terms of like, well, like the past three years now, and like we have had the eventual foreign language or like international film winner also being the a director nominee. And I am I'm at least glad that we at this current period have sort of gotten to a time where it's like, all right, we don't need to wait another year. Like we don't need to, like, they're just going to nominate them now instead of, you know, only doing the movie and then they're not going to touch it ever again. Cause I do, I really do love this period in the seventies of the foreign language winner will get some follow-up nominations the next year. Um, and I think this is going to be a trend for like the next several that you're going to be talking about. Um, so I'm, I am sort of sad that this is a rule implemented if only because it feels like there was, from what my understanding of the Oscars were, 
it feels like there this was such an international period and that sort of in terms of their nominations and this seemed like it really it stopped being like you know you wouldn't have the sort of like oh Fellini's going to be in the director like nomination again like that sort of feels like that trend really did kind of halt the general nominating of foreign language films in these upper categories but I am I'm glad that we have now just gotten to a point of nominating foreign language films and or what will hopefully continue to happen because I feel like Roma and Parasite were maybe the kind of phenomenon that will either be the start of a trend or we're going to figure out if it was just them but I am hopeful that we're going to keep seeing director nominees for foreign language films and hopefully like performance more performance nominations or more like cinematography or editing or whatever because it's sort of on the one hand i am really happy about the the two nominations fellini got for directing and screenwriting frame record but it also feels like this could have even shown up in other categories with like the the cinematography or like Yes, for Gradiska's amazing red dress. Like there's certain, like you could almost imagine this showing up in even more places. And I don't know enough about the seventy-five lineup to say that um, it should have gotten in over specific things. Um, I, we're about to get into whether it should have won in seventy-four, and it'll be fun to talk about those nominees. But um, yeah, I'm just I don't know. I'm I'm just in general more for international cinema getting recognized i just want more of it please thank you for your support um <laughs> anytime. anytime yes true blooded fan of world cinema i love it um so my chair has been noisy all right so <laughs> this year you know amarcord is the one that really strikes us the most well-known film of the lineup so i think we can revisit for a bit the other four it sucks to say the other four the other four <laughs> films that were nominated alongside Amarcore to see where we stand on those films the nominees that year were Cat's Play from Hungary The Deluge from Poland La Combusien from France and The Truce from Argentina so which film would you like to discuss first? um I would be fine to talk about Truce because from what I understand, it was like the first Argentinian film to get an Academy Award nomination, which is very cool. But I also, from what I understand from looking at your letterbox, I think this is maybe like the one that we were both least jazzed about. So maybe <laughs> let's just talk about that first. Yep. So the truce from Argentina, like I said, it's the first nomination from Argentina. And uh, up to this day, it has a cult film status in Argentina. Um, it's basically about a middle-aged-ish, more on the upper side, man who, uh, who comes to terms with everything... <laughs> With his family, with his age, with his future, and especially with an office romance um, mm -hmm. that is bound to mess things up, or maybe not. Um, it stars Hector Alterio, and uh, I'm mentioning that because I really loved his performance in The Official Story in 1985. And this is 
it also stars Norma Leandro in a two scene. <laughs> it's, it's a cameo. It's crazy. It's crazy that both of her scenes. I feel like they're just sort of. They just like I didn't. They just kind of show up from nowhere, and I spent the first few minutes, of, seconds of both being like, "Is that, is that Norma Leandro? Yeah. It is." And then the scene ends. And it's like okay, like it's such a small role, but she's so. Maybe it's because she's the only face I really recognize, but maybe it's just that her star charisma is strong enough, even in those sort of, like, for the brief moments we get to know her, I was certainly thinking about her more than a couple of the other characters we spend a real amount of time with. Oh, no. Yeah, so that is The Truth, directed by uh, Sergio Renan, I think. No, it is Sergio Renan. So what do you think of La Tregua? It's fine. I don't have anything like against it or anything, but it certainly compared to the scope or the formal experimentation of the other nominees. I think this was sort of like, this was the one I feel like I had the least thoughts about or at least sort of engagement like there's nothing wrong with it and i did i liked the the main guy's performance i think there's a lot of stuff to like but it also feels what you were saying about oh he's dealing with all of these different things and at a certain point i'm not sure that all of them really get well served by that or there's all of that that kind of works out like the whole thing with his with his son who is in the closet and eventually runs away from home and he has a conversation with this guy who he just sort of blames for his son's homosexuality and that's sort of an interesting plot line but it feels like i think there are some movies that can juggle a lot of different things and you feel like it maybe is thinking about those things even when it's not foregrounded and i had the very like maybe this is just me not connecting with it but it sort of feels like if something isn't at the like the foreground of a scene it feels like that thread is just kind of left hanging for a bit was that how you felt watching it uh it felt like it was um trying to do a lot but not necessarily digging deep into any of those yep. um i for one am conflicted with this one um because number one, I at this point kind of appreciate small scale human dramas popping in in this category, because this is a category that is mostly dealt with um historical dramas, period pieces, um, and all that, or like huge, heavy, important social commentary. This is mm-hmm. not really it, so it's almost nope. kind of refreshing in a twisted way. But also, um, there is, I think there's a lack of ambition in it. Yeah. Not necessarily that I want the film to be, you know, more ambitious in what it wants to do. But at the same time, it's, then what? You know, what, yeah. when you watch this film and you see this journey of the character, it's, it's, it's fine. I, I, I feel, I feel empathy not really a deep connection. I I understand, sir, where you're coming from. And the film is 
at best serviceable. I don't think it's as insightful as it should have been for me yes. for me to um, cling more into the story. It's very serviceable. It's 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 harmless. I don't think it's it has any like major offenses that would mm-hmm. count as like a huge strike against the film. Not really. And but I'm fa- what I'm fascinated in is how it got the cult film status in Argentina. Because I am not sure if I'm seeing the reason why. I mean, if there are any <laughs> listeners who would mm-hmm. enlighten, thank you. I would, just, you know, message Pretty me. Please. Yeah, among with other things. Yep. But, message me too. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to understand. Because the truth is, um, it's, it's trying to touch on a few issues but yet it's not really willing to be complex in those matters. It's very surface level. And Hector Altemio is good in this one. Um I see it as a as a harmless yet not necessarily essential addition to this category. Um not that I wanna think of him only as an Oscar nominee, but you know, even just like a standalone adult drama, an adult meaning middle-aged, um, it doesn't really stick out for me to say that there is this very good thing in it. I don't even think it's very... I think it's fine and mm-hmm. um, well done. I, it's nothing exemplary. Um, it is also it's not even i'm trying to i'm trying to think of like a a flaw that i want to highlight i can't really think because like in terms of pacing it's it's fine the acting is fine and i think that's also the problem it's just fine yeah i i think i could maybe point out i don't know if this is pacing exactly or just structure but i think they're like what i was saying about like Norma Leandro feels like she's exited the movie like right in time for me to realize that that is her but there's certainly like it feels like there's a lot of scenes or topics that get very suddenly like brought into a scene without really any lead up or without any sense that the previous scene was even ending and there's like it's an interesting kind of rhythm that and on like on the one hand it's like all right this isn't like it made me pay a little bit more attention than I've probably would have felt like I needed to if it was a little bit like cleaner in the transitions but it also it feels a little disorganized yeah at the same time like a um or even I want to maybe poke a little bit more fun at the fate of his girlfriend oh, because goodness. it feels um <laughs> when you like when she starts I don't even want she is it okay to like say what happens to her? I'm not like, cause I don't want to spoil it, but I'm also not assuming that a lot of people are going to be running out to see the truth. I, I think, they yeah, I think we've way past the expiration date of spoiler alerts. And, um, it's been out for, it, it, it's, 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 it's both easy to find and also hard to find. So, yeah, um, okay. yeah, just, just, just drop it. Yeah, just like her, like when, like there's this scene where he they're outside and he's talking about maybe he wants to retire and she starts 
coughing a little bit. And I'm like, mm. well, okay, if this is a melodrama, then we would all know right away that she's about to like die. And I thought, okay, that's just because this is a lot of like slice of life stuff and maybe nothing's going to really lead from that. But then it eventually just escalates into that's maybe not her last scene, but after that, she goes home to her mother and she's sick and she eventually does die. And it's so, it's almost funny just because the rest of this movie is not really operating on a tone of melodrama or just even heightened reality where you would maybe just sort of run with it or accept it. And it like there's, and instead it's just this is very naturalistic thing that goes out of its way to do the like, <laughs> I'm fine, don't worry. Like, it's just very, it's very strange. And it's sort of amazing that it's not more like openly mockable, but it's also like, it makes me kind of curious for a version of this that's a little bit more like, kind of more colorful and has a little bit more sort of spite or spark to it. Like what, you know, not to default to the only, um, like, Oh my god, like, just not to default to Almodovar for, like, all films made in, like, this part of the world, like, what what would his version of this look like, where everybody looks like they're Gila monsters and this sort of thing is just happening to everybody. Yeah, um, with this one, I was trying to think of, like, because that came out of nowhere. Yeah! I don't think it was really inferred. And, but, you see, I think we've dealt with, we've dealt with terms of endearment. Um, I also don't think that was exactly unfair, but at least in terms of endearment commits like a significant chapter yes. to that. With this one, it felt so throwaway. And, yes. um, you know, when it said she's shaking it off, like, oh, of course, I'm going to shake it off as well. And then like a few moments later, she, she did. And I'm like, so I'm more puzzled by the direction it took. Mm-hmm. As the story was ended, and I wasn't certain on what was it trying to, what would it, what did it say, you know, in terms of like why are we uh, ending on this one? Oh. Mm-hmm. So that's the it's... climax. He she contracted flu and died of heart failure. Um, yeah, it's a very very strange note to end on. I like the terms of endearment comparison a lot because at least it's like oh once it's about that the movie just devotes to that and you have to kind of watch everybody deal with it and then instead here she just leaves (laughs) yeah i'm trying to read like a very accurate wikipedia summary of the film and you know he has you know because the film is basically he has problems in life and then when laura comes he's like he has this um i don't know good spot in life but when mm-hmm. she passed away, she realized that the romance with Laura was nothing but a truce with life. It's very, it's just very, and also even the very beginning where it's like he's in bed and he gets out and there's the clock playing and then there's this guy at the door and we don't know who that is right away. And we sort of cut back to his like face looking for Romy out the window and there's not... It's not mystery exactly, but it's another thing. Like this is a kind of interesting thing that I'm not sure it ever like what that totally adds to have that sort of 
prelude and to have that like scene or that image just sort of scattered throughout like what is this for yeah and ultimately that is and you know this is this is based on a novel a 1960 novel by mario benedetti um but like you said when i think about this film i think what is was this for you know that, that's what i felt with the truth um which that doesn't necessarily say that the film was bad but i don't get why it exists yeah it's which is probably too harsh but um yeah like it's like you know there's nothing wrong with it or nothing that would make me say if anybody didn't want to watch it like oh like this this horrible thing like there's nothing to recommend against it but by the same token i don't know what i would really use to to sell recommend this. it <laughs> yeah like it's it is absolutely fine there is nothing i think it's maybe an interesting time capsule but yeah i don't yeah. have i don't really have strong thoughts about it one way or another unlike you know <laughs> every other movie we're going to be discussing like i think this is you know no, nothing for or really against it it's fine yeah uh but you know if there's anyone listening from argentina again if you can enlighten us how what is the place of this film in argentinian history maybe there is and uh, yeah. i'd appreciate i would, I would be super interested to learn more about this because argentinian cinema is certainly something i don't know all that much about maybe this is following in some tradition that i don't know about maybe this is some maybe there's a different angle look at this will make me at least if not appreciate the film more as a thing maybe just as a cultural object but like it's look looking at it right now he's fine it's fine yeah so that is the truce so which film would you like to discuss next um well i suspect that we <laughs> maybe the deluge let's just go it's not quite reverse right, alphabetical the... order because we're skipping Lacombe Lucien <laughs> but I feel like that was one that we both had a lot of we had to kind of hype ourselves up about it because it's just so long but um I didn't even realize that this was in the whole part of the academy's history where they were nominating stuff like the you know the full adaptation of war and peace and I just wanted to say so I don't realize how many of, you know, Eastern European or Russian movies you have to be watching that are this long. But, you know, I just want to let you know that I think you're very brave. Thank you. Uh, yeah. At some point, I realized that I was brave. I also realized it myself. Yeah. That, Sir, what are you doing with yourself? <laughs> say, say it with your um, chest. You are brave. I am brave. <laughs> All right, so The Deluge from Poland. It's the third most popular film in Polish cinema in terms of box office, I guess. Um, I don't know how to summarize this four-hour, 42-minute film, but it's basically, I'm just going to copy what is said on, is this even, It. I don't know if this is, a, a, oh, this is Wikipedia, so, um, but, um, IMDB says that it's during the 1655 war between Protestant Sweden and Catholic Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth. Some Polish Lithuanian nobles side with Swedish King Karl X Gustav 
while others side with the Polish king Jan Kazimierz. That's not a story. Um, no. It's a context. However, a quarter of the... And now I'm merging the Wikipedia summary. A quarter of the Polish-Lithuanian population died through war and plague. Again, that's still not the story. Yeah. But it's about... Basically, if I'm going to get to it, it's, um, it's about... Uh, a, a soldier, I guess, or a man named Kmicic, mm-hmm. who, who, uh, he is a noble, yeah, yeah, from the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth, who transforms himself from a villain to a hero, um, yeah, his, <laughs> like his whole service is partially repentance for destroying a few towns in rage and he also has a a girl back home waiting for him who was sort of i believe willed to him by her grandfather yeah and i want to ask something did they rape the women at the beginning i oh like in the pub before everything yeah when when they were like having fun and then they saw the women looking and then they ran outside and we never really see what after that they were kind of taking a bath and said no one should know. I honestly couldn't tell just because of the. Um, I feel like the way that the scenes of, like the actual battle in the pub is edited. I honestly couldn't tell if it was saying that they all just killed each other and they killed the guys or, um, the way that I read that scene. I thought they were trying to maybe just hide the fact that the guys were even dead because the. Kvitschik's temper sounds pretty legendary, and if they found out that, if he found out that they slaughtered his men, even if it was in defense, um, he would probably, I kind of took that to mean that they were sort of afraid of retribution, Um, but that seems like a valid interpretation. I'm at least glad that there isn't really a lot of, it seems like the movie, for all its interest in, like, war and pillaging, isn't really going hard on the sexual violence. That was pretty nice. Just generally yeah. didn't have a lot of that. Yeah, but it's also because there's not really a lot of women. There the really game. aren't. <laughs> that's also the downside of it. It's like, okay, not really. We're not really problematizing the depiction of sexual violence. But there's not really a lot of women in the film. Yeah. Um, so the deluge, again, it's a, it's a huge time commitment. It's, a two hour, uh, it's, it's four hours, 42 in the version we saw, at least. Yeah. Um, we, it was uh, digitally restored. That's what we saw. And then for its 40th anniversary, it got a new cut that was just two hours shorter. But what did you think of the deluge? I thought it was okay. Um, I I did, ha- I will also say for anybody who is sort of interested in this, that the Wikipedia page for the novel is a pretty extensive, like, this is everything that happens in it, more or less. Um, like, I kind of had that on hand just because at a certain point I I don't even know that I was worried that I was mixing stuff up but it just felt good to have like okay I know who everybody is I know what all these countries are like that reference was good I liked it and I was mostly thinking of it in comparison to like I haven't necessarily watched a lot of movies that are this long but sort of the last time I had to really watch any epics was um like when the the smackdown was for 1965 and it was like okay here's Lawrence olivier's like full adaptation of hamlet here is dr Zhivago, which is very beautiful and maybe is a little bit more uneven with 
which characters are like interesting to watch um so in the comparison to like other english and british english and american i should say um sort of things of this length i was like it definitely felt very long of course but i feel like it moved at a good clip and i liked the filmmaking a lot i think the the lead guy is actually i like that performance a lot i think it's maybe i don't know that the nominees that we watched were super acting heavy or acting reliant but i thought he was among the more notable performances of this sort of set of five um yeah it was compared to other things i've seen of this length i think that not justifying its runtime feels like a a hard phrase to quantify especially if you're like why does this need to be this long anyways but i you know i was i was into it i would definitely I don't know that I'll ever want to watch it again, but I was glad that I watched it instead of maybe, you know, I didn't really have the desire to see the shortened version, but I'm, I am glad I watched the longer thing. What about you? Um, yeah. I tweeted about this. This is the third Polish nominee in a row. The first one was four up. <laughs> five hours, 15. Oh, no, no, four hours, 15. And then the second one was two hours, 49. And then this one was four hours, 42. So just for Poland, I gave 11 hours, 47 minutes of my life <laughs> for just three films, three Polish films. Um, two of them were um, starring Daniela Olbrykski. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I think I have a thing for him now. That's fair. Um. We're now married. Congratulations. Um, thank you. And um, Honeymoon is on, on OnlyFans. Anyway, so this... Yes. So this film, The Deluge, I was... Um, this was hard to find. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's not. <laughs> but the version that is kind of available in certain places aren't really the best and i'm glad we got i got this one we, we almost like scrambled like hey um i think we have a problem in finding this copy in this film but no no, no i think i found it and then i found it <laughs> so it was a whole thing between us um and then we found it and um what but you see you still gotta work when you're yes. watching this film you gotta pay it um so part of me the joy is like, just watching it because like it's hard to find um, you know, I think it's, it's good. I think, I, I think I like it more than you did. Um, in certain places, the filmmaking is terrific. Yes. It owns that epic filmmaking, you know, that, that, that filmmaking that for a certain period of time becomes omniscient and observant of the whole spectacle that's going around, especially the war scenes that, so that there, the direction is impeccable. Mm-hmm. The other scenes inside the more like dialogue confrontation scenes, some of those feel stiffly acted, mm-hmm. f- stiffly staged. Um, but you know, both complement and it f- it really feels there's an old school period that is easily digestible despite the running time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty clear that we have a, a central character we have to follow and um, what what tough 
role is that? Not necessarily because of the, the demands of the role, but just that the central character must hook us for that length of time. And um, Daniel Obrikski is... Um, he can be really good in certain scenes. I think he's a very good actor. And he's the hottie of the 70s. He's really um, good in this movie. Yes. Um, so with this one, I think I'm biased. But <laughs> other than that, it is not a bother for a four-hour, 42-minute film. Except when you're scheduling. And it is a bother. <laughs> but when you're watching it at the moment, it's it's easy to watch. It mm-hmm. The version that we saw, I, I, I'm still in at awe of the of the well restored version that we got to see. Yeah, it's it felt as if um it was made somewhere in like I don't know nineties or two thousands probably. Um the story is again it's it's very clearly laid out. You know, it's 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 character driven, so we really depend on the main character. It's just the 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 writing is um serviceable at best but it doesn't really affect because um the film is decidedly about the filmic the the epicness of it so you kind of let i kind of let the the smaller scenes pass get a pass for when it feels a bit stiff or um you know some of the more dramatic elements especially with the fiance slash wife mm-hmm. um that i don't know if it's like it feels padded sometimes um, but other than that, it also shows the gloriousness of the filmmaking that it's available to us. And um, it's really, I don't know, I, I, I get that. Uh, um, I get the place that it has in Polish cinema because it really is kind of impressive. Uh, there are certain moments when it is really damn impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, all of the fight scenes are just incredibly staged. I've been, I have not been able to stop thinking about, um, I think the whole first hour is maybe my, probably my favorite, like kind of before he goes into war, which is like not fair to all of the war stuff because I think it is incredibly well staged. And, but just the whole sort of journey of him kind of coming into this town and deciding to marry this woman and sort of the rampage that he goes on after that ending in that really great sword fight with that other i don't what is the name of that i could not keep track of the character's names but the face is it the 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 pre the prince the the guy who like spares his like the they're fighting in that like rainy town yeah Um, oh I remember that scene yes i don't remember the name of the character but i just thought that was fantastically well staged i think it's very good and scenes like that at like characterization through fighting just like simple stuff of like okay his opponent is very like clearly very formally equipped and knows what he's doing and knit six is just kind of swinging (laughs) like and he like also with great power and kind of some control over that but it's also like he's not going at it with that level of composure and it's really interesting to see like he like both the conviction in his threats and the way that the um the more professional guy who will go on to be like a very important character 
whose name I'd never learned, um, is just both aware of the gravity of those threats, but he is like, I'm here on a mission, I'm going to take, I'm going to accept this deal because I want to bring this guy in for the crimes that he has done. Um, I thought all of that was really, really great. And I, again, not to say that the rest of it isn't very good too, but I think that whole, like as a contained story, that first hour is really great. Um, and yeah, it, it continues to be very good at staging scenes of war and battle and the way that the bodies of the actors feel like they're really like part of it. And I think this is maybe just a certain level of like, diff like just different filmmaking styles, different like contemporary standards, but or like what counts as choreographing for action scenes this compared to now or even other like kind of quite other epic movies that's the right word but when he's like being held up and tortured by that guy with the fire yeah that was so like just awful to sit there and watch it and it felt even worse because many of those shots let us see that they're actually holding like a torch underneath that guy's gut um <laughs> it's just um can be violent at times it's very violent and the like watching um daniel Olbrichsky's face sort of get like contort and get red as he's trying not to make any sense because he doesn't want to give him the satisfaction of him screaming like that's incredibly visceral to watch yeah and um, it keeps doing that yeah um it's also like a lot of blood in certain places yeah. like there are moments where i really have to look away sometimes um, even with full awareness that it's fake. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I remember the, the sword fight in the rain because um, he got wet. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he was only yeah, wearing so that like, one shirt. Yeah, and I'm like, can we get a close-up at this point, sir? <laughs> um, this is really me being showing my biases. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it was intimidating, really, to get started. Um, but it's so... It, it's it's really well done you know it's really well done and um it doesn't necessarily excite me but this is um epic filmmaking really done well and um i i mean all there are certain moments when i am just in awe and how was this even pulled off um i do want to mention that i've searched uh, daniel Ulbricksky, mm -hmm. uh and he is uh, 76 years old. Um, sir, I am still available. <laughs> um, and um, I see here that he supports the LGBT community. Uh, again, sir, I'm available, mm -hmm. even though you're not. So that's deluge. <laughs> and it's really, um, I hope it gets more accessible to other people because I, I, I really want you know, when, when a film is considered important in a national cinema, I think that's something to be valued, you know, with um, once we try to, to see, like, well, what can we watch in this country's filmography? And The Deluge really is very impressive. Mm -hmm. um, can be up there with uh, some of the more well-known epics that we have in cinema. Um, it's really beautiful. Anyway, all right. So, which film would you like yes. to do? <laughs> oh, no, just one. Just like the 
I'm sure you've already said it, yeah. just, but like this, the sheer craft and this of it is really amazing. Like the staging of yes. like the, all of the interiors are really great. The costumes are really good without seeming like it's the point is to be like a pageant of the era. Like it looks yeah. really good, but there's also a lot of dirt and a lot of muck. And the, yeah. the makeup I think is amazing. And it's something that I feel like I mostly notice in like these sort of like, I don't know exactly when this went out of style or stopped being a thing that was maybe super common, but the way to show that a character was wounded or on the edge of death was just to give the whole face like a little like glaze of like powder or something and they just look like they're dying. And there's just a lot of really great like work as a like as a story, it's great as a craft showcase, it's really impressive. Like and without being like in your face about it there's just a lot of good work to make this movie really yeah yeah so hopefully um people can invest like four hours 45 it's it's a really interesting watch it's 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 easy to watch it's very it's pretty easy to watch i won't maybe attest to that super hard because i feel like at I, my own like levels of <laughs> exhaustion kind of waned while, while while I was watching it for reasons that are absolutely not the movie's fault. Um, yeah, I, you know, there's, I have other, <laughs> I have other things going on, but it's, it it's very good, and it's anybody who's scared of the runtime, like that's totally fair, and if you want to work around that, like by all means, but it's certainly, like, there is enough going on that to be properly entertaining. So I would recommend that yeah. very well. Yeah, and I also watched this in a time when I was having sleeping problems. I'm still having sleeping problems. <laughs> Out of the five, this is not where I've had some problems in paying attention. Yeah. So, not says a lot. That's that makes a lot of. I'm recording included. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the deluge. Um, cats play or like homeless? Oh, cats play. Um. Yeah. Let's do cats play. All right, Cats Play from Hungary, premiering Cannes. I had to search the summary. It's the story of two elderly sisters who exchange letters. Mm-hmm. And through brief flashbacks, we see glimpses of their younger years. I think this is IMDb. Cats Play, what do you think? I was pretty into it. And I think it took me a second just because I didn't realize how, um, just what the style of it was going to be. Like the whole, it seems like there's just a lot of, it feels very fragmented to watch like they're reading these letters and you get like images of the stories that they're describing or little quick stuff. There's not a whole lot of sequences that are just like scenes playing out in real time. There's a lot of like, it's using the flashback structure of it. Like it actually sounds like it's flashing back to stuff instead of like the way that some movies that are about where the framing devices letter reading is where it will, someone will be reading the letter, but it's playing out in real time for the audience. And instead it's just a lot of like kind of images or like shots that are only there for a couple seconds, but it's a very, it's not at all a style I'm used to, but I was, I got pretty captivated with it. Um, and I, yeah, this was the first of the nominees that I watched after M record. And it was just like a very, like just it's such a different experience from that but i was pretty into it what about you um I, you may be more into it than i am but 
I will say at first I'm I am weirded out that this was nominated because it's so um I don't want to use the word experimental but it really toes into that territory of filmmaking um like I said we don't really get to see full scenes yeah we it's very much like the experience of reading a letter and then having visual associations with what you read um it's very daring artistically mm -hmm. uh, in the context of the Academy Awards, at least, because you have our different thresholds of what's artistic. Mm -hmm. But I Am Surprised has made it this far because it's almost impressionistic in a way that it never really... I don't think it ever really gave us a solid storyline and a course of action to follow. It's really um, an act of remembering mm -hmm. or like rereading letters probably there is this melancholy in it that um might be appealing to other people in terms of like watching these films because these are all about two old women mm -hmm. um at first the style was a challenge to me i agree because it really gets a certain it really needs to, it really demands a certain amount of time before you can get in sync with it yes because it's very deliberate it's um the editing here restless <laughs> it really is um restless um but once you get used to the rhythm of it and you realize how or where it was going in terms of character expectations and um, the visual style that it would use it actually becomes slightly more engaging than it was initially. I appreciate the adventurousness of the director, you know, um, in deciding that this is going to be the way the story is told. I remembered the feature length script that I wrote <laughs> because that's a uh, completely jumbled out of order. This one pushes it even more because not necessarily the scenes are out of order, but the shots really are. Um, sometimes they depict a scene from the past. Sometimes they depict a memory. Sometimes it's imagination, but you know, it's, it's, it's a really bold choice or, um, aesthetically speaking, I still don't get how the Academy ended up with this one, but, um, I respect the attempt to create this something differently about cats play. Yeah. Um, so for the, it's for the cat lovers there. <laughs> it's not a love letter yeah. to cats. There aren't a ton but, of cats in it, I will say. Plus, there aren't really a lot. Um, if you're looking at it for cats, don't go here. But, um, yeah, it's such a, just so formally interesting to see this. Because I, what you said, it's sort of fun to think that something that is this sort of oblique would even get nominated um with that like it's just not on a certain level it's sort of accessible in like the like the the stories they're talking about feel like they you know just they're rehashing their lives together it's like two sisters and they're talking about like what they did like the past week or going over stuff that they did in their childhood and they're sort of you know the actual events are pretty relatable the moods that the, like their relationship towards each other kind of goes between different like bitterness and familiarity and 
like sort of sibling loyalty but also like i've grown up with you your whole life don't give me that shit um so there's just a lot of stuff going on but yeah it sort of feels like what you said where you're actually like it feels like the experience of reading something and then just certain like images will pop out from the text and i yeah i i i guess i did like this a little bit more than you and i don't even know that yeah it's not even like we're reacting to it differently but it's just that i maybe just vibe to it a little bit more but i yeah and the maybe especially the one suitors the one sisters suitor or the guy that she has that relationship with that ends unexpectedly badly or like she's at least caught off guard by it not going well um i thought that was a pretty interesting through line and maybe one of the more like concrete things that they go back to and it has a very strong finish where she just does the like yanking the whole um tablecloth full of food off of the table which is like such a funny just (laughs) image to think about these characters because they haven't really been very like physically aggressive and then she's just like talking about yeah i like fucked up his whole dinner and he was too much of a coward to do anything about it (laughs) it's like just like that man is it's like okay um yeah and i this is i think the other of the ones that we have of the nominees that we watched i think this is the one that i'm most curious to watch again now that i have a better idea of like what the style is and what it's doing because i yeah just the rhythms of sort of anger in it and like not that it's an especially angry movie but just the what it's doing to convey its emotions is so not what i was expecting and I'm struggling even to think of a lot of movies with that sort of letter writing structure that even take this sort of path. But I, for one, like, I think this is probably the one that I will watch again the fastest, um, unless I want to go through Amacord again. Or not go through it, because it was really great, but, you know, unless I want to, like, go through that ringer one more time. Yeah. Um, This film is... uh... I'm really blanking because like I'm, I think I'm, this is like the 2.38 in the morning kicking in. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. And this is, um, you know, it's not a movie that feels like <laughs> there's a whole, necessarily a whole lot of stuff to like latch onto as a conversation. Uh-huh. Point. Like that's so, like, you're yeah. fine. <laughs> you're totally fine. Yeah. With, with, with the film is, is demanding us to engage you know, um, it's like I said a while ago. It's not even shuffling scenes; it's shuffling shots yes. while there is reading. So you're really working overtime because there is this audiovisual experience, but also reading subtitles. Um, I don't know. I it's it's a bold choice mm-hmm. in my opinion, uh, a baffling one, <laughs> in a good way. Yes, for sure. <laughs> um and. It's really hard to find. I only found it in one place, but um, it's a it's a very interesting one. And regardless of whether I love it more or you like it more than I do, it is. Um, I don't know. In some ways, it's kind of representative of what I want best for in language film, because if if we're gonna honor world cinema, at least honor something that's not really necessarily copying Hollywood mm-hmm. in its way of filmmaking because if we're really going to be 
asking ourselves that that's that's the American identity, the English, the American English. Mm-hmm. So, and that there is also an ad- an identity of Hollywood, classical Hollywood narrative filmmaking. I really want to see the Academy embrace more of these art house picks here, yes. and Cats Play kind of serves that point of it being this. I don't know what's going on in the head of the filmmaker. Um, did the filmmaker think, was I wrong doing this way? Because it is very singular. Mm-hmm. It's very distinctive and it's unapologetic about its style. Um, so, you know, Cats Play. So that's uh, Cats Play. It's, um, it's a really interesting it's film. Super interesting. But it's kind of hard to find. Mm. So if you want to find it, find me. <laughs> yes. All I right. So one last um, film remaining. Will, just to say real quick, because I know, like, one thing that I would be very curious about is, like, how much is this represented in Hungarian cinema generally? And, like, I totally agree with what you said about the Academy should have more, like, um, like, just be, this is a kind of, like, kind of riskier stuff I would like to see them embrace a little bit more, even though, like, I think recently they've had a lot of good nominations but uh oh just oh I, i'm sorry i was looking at the wikipedia page i thought this guy this director had another movie of his that was nominated in a couple years like in the earlier 70s that you're going to be getting too soon but it was not nominated it was called love so oh i have heard of this i can um but if you you know he's certainly got other stuff that from what um me looking at one other link to his movies and knowing what it is it's like all right at least he's made like i think that movie that he's from the 70s was like got like some national board of national film society like award so it's certainly like he is has some slight international standing but yeah i'm this can all be edited out maybe but i just wanted to like all right anybody who has seen that will know yeah, never mind. <laughs> nah. I thought he was on no, again, but he was yeah. not. He wasn't, but you know, he had a pretty remarkable run. He also directed Another Way, um, which is about an affair between two women, and that's from, you know, it's it's a it's a landmark. It won Best Actress in it's a notable cult film for lesbian audiences in Cold War Hungary and Poland. So. Mm-hmm. Let's go lesbians. And so he sure yeah. seems like making movies about two women talking to each other in a room. <laughs> there you go. That's a whole. If you're into that genre, then by all means, <laughs> seek out this guy. Yes. All right. So one last film remaining for this lineup, La Combleusienne from France. Um, impressive awards run mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at the BAFTAs. It won Best Film Ooh. and was nominated for Directing and Screenplay. Um, Golden Globe nomination. National Board of Review Top 5 for Foreign Language Films. And Best Supporting Actor win. And National Society of Film Critics Best Supporting Actor win. It's about a young man named Lucien who is really kind of insistent in joining the resistance. This is Nazi-occupied France. Mm-hmm. He's really insistent on joining the resistance. Um, but the resistance wouldn't take him in because he he's young. Mm-hmm. 
So he ends up reporting to the Gestapo. Uh, no, no, the Carl Carling, the the one that works with the Gestapo, mm-hmm. and now started becoming um, a traitor. Yeah. To the French, and becomes the uh, the one that supports and supplies um, information for the Nazis. Um, by Louis Mal. Yeah. So, what do you think of uh, La Colombusian? I was pretty into it. Um, I like. I mean, I feel like I've said that for all the ones that I've liked. So I'll just say, like, I like this a lot. I thought this was very good. I think this is my like. I just thought this was very great. I won't say how much I like this in relation to the others because we'll save that for the end. But I thought this was super. I really. Um, one of the the other movies by Louis Louise Mal is that how you say it? Louis Mal Louis Mal. Um, the other movies of his I have seen: Atlantic City and Bonnie on Forty Second Street. I really, really loved. I think this is really like you know really just a wonderful movie, um, which feels like sort of a I strange thing to say just given the content, but like. It is really great, um, and yeah, I don't even know how. Well, I just tell me what you think first, and then I can go spinning off on tangents. What did you think of this? Um, you probably like it more than I did. I was really expecting to like this one a lot. Um, I recognize the the strong aspects of it. I, for one, am really impressed by the fact that. A lot of it is shot in handheld. Yes. I know it's something that can be so tangential, like what what the heck are you caring about? But for a period film at this time, when cameras aren't really that mobile, to make a decision as constant as this, and sometimes the framing can be also... Interesting, it would be the word. <laughs> I really appreciate that how it, um, it artistically at first, uh, was willing to question the conventions of filmmaking. Second, um, very intriguing central concept. Mm-hmm. A person who wants to join the resistance was turned down, goes to the fascists, and starts working with them and for them, actually. Yes. How far would someone go? That is uh, something that um, still strikes me to this day. But also third, um, I think I had a little bit of problem in trying in trying to connect it with the film because of the nature of the main character, mm-hmm. which is very uh, sometimes aloof and then sometimes just merciless. Yes. <laughs> so I wasn't. It, it was hard for me to, for, to connect with my way in, which is Lucien. And um, it's not that the, film, the acting was bad, but it's really more on how the character was set up to be this. Um, he, he has such a huge impact um, in the story, but uh, because he is a central character. But then it's he's still indecipherable. And, you know, we've had indecipherable lead characters, but it was tough for me 
to be fully on board with it. But otherwise, I think it's a very solidly made film from a reliable filmmaker. Mm-hmm. The, it's really, it's incredibly well made. And I, I didn't even know that about the handheld photography. It doesn't feel like, and there, I'm definitely like thinking now back to certain scenes where it's like, okay, that's actually like, you can tell it's not like it's necessarily hiding it, but I wasn't even like thinking, oh, like power of handheld photography. It's just like, it's just a thing the movie is doing. It's doing it really well. Um, and there's, um, just to go back to the plot, there's also like the whole second half where he, I think it basically is just the second half where he sort of forces himself into the relations of this Jewish tailor and his daughter who is about his age and is named France, which I sort of expected to be a little bit more like purposefully allegorical or whatever than it was, although it was so strange just to name that character that because it's like, why would you, why? Um, But I think that relationship was sort of what gave me um, not necessarily an entryway into Lucien, but it sort of feels like his thing, if we can call it that, is just that he, it's not even, I don't even know that he even believes in the politics of either the resistance or the Gestapo, but he just kind of wants somebody to want him and to be with him. And that just, that was at least how I started thinking about him because of that relationship, because it's, it feels like part of the second half is not just watching him ingratiate himself and force himself into this family, but how much they are willing to accept his presence, either for political protection or because they really like him sincerely. And the, I think especially the daughter who was maybe more like I would have appreciated if that character had a little bit more lines so I can understand where she's coming from. But it was also interesting just to, excuse me, just to watch her and see what mental calculations might be going through her head. But I, I, yeah, I agree that there's, it's a little bit less knowable than I was expecting, but I feel like the, the inroads it gave us to think about this character were interesting enough that I was like pretty compelled and it it was nice that it didn't feel like it was like he was playing the same scenes with the family over and over again like he kept kind of forcing them into doing different stuff for him and the way that they did or did not rise to that occasion was pretty interesting yeah um with this film it's it if it has a, if one of the strengths that for me it has is that it gets that um you know that immature desire for more for power yes. that, that that pettiness of him shifting from the resistance to the Nazis just because he wasn't allowed so that um the impulsive um braggadocio that he has as well especially when he's already trying to impress the 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 young woman that he wants to date um what's the name of the french jewish girl um france of course the name is france so on the nose but also doesn't i don't know it's it it is annoying that it's there but also doesn't feel 
worse than it is. I don't that that was like the one. Like, if there was one thing I could change about any of these movies, it would just be to give her a different name. Like, give her Patrice or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's terrifying. I think the film gets that. It's terrifying the way that the power disillusions and consumes Lucien and how the repercussions of it starts to affect the people around him. Um because he probably thought it was all gain. But then, um, as the time went on, he really saw how that really almost turned him into, you know, the, the isolation that he experiences after that is uh, probably very strong. And for that, that's the vivid part of the film for me, is that even though I'm not 100% invested in it, when I see those scenes where his arrogance unfolds, it's terrifying because you still want to hope the best that maybe he's not that person. Maybe he would improve. And the film raises those stakes every time there's a new character, there's a new scenario involved. But um, it's a it's a road down the road <laughs> in terms of how it depicts the com- not just the complicity but the active participation of some of the French during the Nazi mm-hmm. occupation. It was kind of controversial at the time because I. Th- think most French films depicted French people as just like victims or like the oppressed people during the war but then you get something like the truce which is about the blood on the hands of those French people who cooperated it's a it's really striking it's kind of it's yeah it's just very I don't want to say power like powerful feels like it's sort of asking like for art in some way but it's sort of just very um, just to watch him be in those raids and participate in the scenes of like, you know, them going after resistance houses and think about whether or not, I, I feel like at a certain point it's past the information that he could have given them, but it's still just like he is there and he's participating, but it also doesn't feel like in the moments of levity that he is actually like really part of this group, either because he doesn't want to be or he's not good at it or because they are like they're just mean to him for being french but it's it yeah and and to see the ways that that sort of has and has not like transformed him like there's the one scene during one of the raids where he tries to like there there's like a whole gunfight going on and he decides to just shoot at a rabbit and from the angle it almost looks like he shot his commanding officer instead i don't think he did but that was certainly what like me, like it's just like he's just running around firing a shotgun, and then the other guy's just like, "Oh fuck, I'm hit! They got me!" <laughs> he's just skinning around in the corner, like, "All right, you can deal with that." Like he never seems like he's all the way in the tank for it, but like in no way does that necessarily excuse his actions because he's still getting people killed. Um, and even to think about the ending where it's so abrupt with they're chilling in their like safe house and then it's like the credits flash while he's like laying in the field and it's like Lucien Lacombe was executed for his crimes on this date it's like like it almost what did you think of the ending because I was I was very surprised at how much just kind of like ends 
it's almost anticlimactic, but they also get it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, like it's not necessarily like there's anywhere else to go, but it's sort of surprising that that is the moment and that's sort of the way that they stage it. Because in the context of, you know, the movie and of the scene, it's like, oh, he's like, they're sort of safe from right now. Like nothing's going to really touch them. And then. <sighs> And then it's like, oh, no, don't worry. This is not going to be the, the stasis for him. Yeah. Um, well, it's available, I think, on the Criterion channel, <laughs> I guess. Or if not, it's a, it's in Criterion. So it's available for every, for most people, at least. Um, it is... Um... It is streaming on the Criterion channel as well. Yay. Um, I would admit maybe it's something that I misunderstood. We have a different expectation. I don't know yet. Um, again, these these all five are first viewings for me, and um, mm -hmm. but um, so far I think objectively it's a really well made one. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So what is your vibe with these five? Like not necessarily like rankings, but just like what is what are you getting in terms of like this group of nominees selected? I think it's a very good prop, and I think. Like, I was definitely walking in with the thought of, like, okay, Amarcord is the only one of these that I've actually heard of. Lacan Lucien is the only other one that I, like, know who the director or anybody involved even is. So I sort of walked in with the assumption that, like, okay, Amarcord not only just blew it out of the water, but none of the other nominees will necessarily... Like, I wasn't expecting much from the other four, but this is a very strong group to me, and it feels like the different like genres of movies that yeah. these are and the different styles of filmmaking like these are five very different movies and it's fun to like just look at them in this context uh like just to actually have them positioned against each other i thought this was a really like in all the ways that like you would want an oscar nomination lineup to be like internally varied while still honoring good work i was pretty pleased with this group yeah, me too. Uh, like I said, the the variety of the nominees here is really admirable. That I only noticed now that we're talking about it, and um, I don't know. Uh, personally, I've been through worse years. <laughs> I bet. Yes. So this one, no one huge singer here. These are bad. Like I know. Yeah that that's the worst that we got i'm fine with that i would i wish that more lineups had the truce as their worst movie because that is not always the case no that is not the case yeah but that is that those are nominees there is one film also nominated this year for directing, supporting actress, and original screenplay. That is Day for Night from France, directed by François Truffaut. But it won Best Foreign Language Film in 1973. And that's the film that we will be discussing next week. So be sure to check next week's episode. Also because I haven't seen it yet. So I have nothing to say about Day for Night yet. Oh, <laughs> I'm all I know about Day for Night is that Ingrid Bergman dedicated her supporting actress win that year to Valentina Corteza. So 
Um, certainly it has something to offer that can yes. get that. Um, but I am, I will be listening along with everybody else next week. I'll be excited to hear what you think about it. Yes, and whoever your Mr. Guest is. Yeah, and um, actually during our break, I was talking to our guest next week. Ooh, Ooh. we're preparing. Tell him I say hello. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm excited <laughs> as well because um, we don't have like four hour epics there. The longest is like one hour 56. So like we're good. That's not bad at all. <laughs> and that's day for night. So I can't complain. That's the winner. All I right. Mean, yeah. can. I won't. It's your show. You can complain yeah. as much as I, you want. Yeah. I mean, yes, but I won't complain for the deluge just because like, I got four hours of Daniel Elbrisky. So, mm -hmm. um, this year we had 19 submissions, very far from the 93 that we have in 2020. <laughs> um, Japan submitted, but they're not on the official list, so I think they're not counted through this year. Um, just a few things I want to mention. I I only had six. <laughs> uh, the conscript from Belgium, it premiered in Berlin. It's about um, a farmhand who won a lottery so that he would not he would be exempted at war. But then there is a rich family who bought that ticket for their son so that he would go to war he, can, mm -hmm. he then gets enlisted in the army gambles away the money that he had for the for the selling of the ticket deals with a sex worker gets std goes blind <laughs> like you do yeah like i do lovers in the year one from czechoslovakia it won carla vivari best actress it's about it's about a group of friends in 1945, and like they're sort, they are kind of looking forward to start start a new, a new, because it's it's the year one after the war, and one of the people there is um is in he's into filming stuff with using his eight millimeter, mm -hmm. and he tried to capture this girl in the town, but then there is a resistance involved. But as it turns out, that girl is a survivor of the concentration camps and is so traumatized. And then one or the other from West Germany. It's the directorial debut of Wolfgang Peterson, who will go on and direct Das Boot. It's about um, a university professor and a blackmailer. Um, I want to highlight Hot Winds or Gam Hava in in from India. It premiered in Cannes. It says, in post-partition India, a Muslim businessman and his family struggle for their rights in a country which was once their own. It's highlighted as one of the... Um, pioneers of art cinema in Hindi cinema. So there you go. And then Inspector Calzonzin from Mexico. It's a comedy and a live action comic adaptation. Uh, it's about a humble peasant is mistaken by a federal government inspector in a small town. And then the last one is uh, La Prima Angelica or Cousin Angelica from Spain. Premiering Khan. Directed by Carlos Saura, which is like a big name for Spanish cinema at this point. It's about a, an aging bachelor who um, who spent, who after the death of, uh, someone died, someone died. And then he <laughs> went home to bury that person. And then he stays in the house where he spent the time of Spanish Civil War. And he starts to relive the memories, but not as a young person, but as the middle-aged person that he is, reliving mm -hmm. the memories of war. It's it said it was controversial, and like 
I think it's anti-Francoism. It, it is uh, anti-Franco in a time of dictatorship in Spain. So maybe that's the reason why it's controversial. Um, we have other films that weren't submitted. Um, mm-hmm. We watched three. Uh, I'm just going to mention the one that we didn't watch first. It's Celine and Julie Go Boating from France, directed by Jacques Rivette. I'm just going to read a summary. It's a mysteriously linked pair of young women find their daily lives preempted by a strange bourgeois melodrama that plays itself out in hallucinatory parallel. I, really, I did not get that. But it said it'd be a hangout <coughs> comedy. And so I think it's a good one. And I look forward to seeing that. Um, we saw three films. One from Sweden, one from West Germany, and one from the Philippines, as I requested personally. So... Uh, which country would you like to go through first? Um, probably Sweden because I think that is the most yes, like the most famously not nominated of these. Yeah, so that one is scenes from a marriage. It's directed by Ingmar Bergman. It was actually submitted for Foreign Legatron in seventy three, but was disqualified and then released in the United States in seventy four. Um, but was also disqualified because um, it had it was originally a miniseries, six-part miniseries, and then it was condensed to a theatrical version. Um, but it is basically the story of um, spans ten years between a family lawyer specializing in divorce and then a, a professor of psychology, and on how their relationship through time um, slowly disintegrated. Mm-hmm. To the point of divorce, and it's really just the conversations between the two that we get to witness. So, mm-hmm. what do you think of scenes from a marriage? I had a. It's so good. I thought it was really. I had a great time with it. I think it's unfair to for me to just. I was sitting there for a lot of it, and I was mostly. I was like, I was into it. I think the performances are great. I think it's ridiculous how cinematically the woman's face just is all the time. Um, but I most, I think my biggest takeaway just is that I want to watch that show. <laughs> really, like, I just want to watch it. It looks, I just had a, Jesus, it's hard to say. Like, oh, I had a great time because it's just so scabrous. But I think like what I was saying earlier about Fellini, where it's like, you know, these grades are actually really accessible. Like people just watch it. And this seems, I think this is maybe the most accessible Bergman I've ever watched, or at least it's not like, this is certainly like the most scaled back in terms of like filmmaking and it's set in what was the present when it was shot. And it just feels like if you even if you don't like it i can't imagine just not knowing what it's doing and not being able to like get on that vibe um i thought it was fucking great (laughs) what about you um scenes from a marriage i this was the day when i was supposed to watch the deluge but then it doesn't didn't really work so i didn't like let's pop in scenes from a marriage Mm -hmm. um it is hard to digest, I would admit, <laughs> with my brain function at the time. Uh, it's really loaded, you know, because it's basically just conversations. 
But those conversations are masterfully written to mm-hmm. show the direction that the relationship was taking between the two. Like you said, uh, Liv Ullman's face is um, made for cinema. Mm-hmm. And uh, Erlen Josephson is astounding as well. He's he's so good. Yeah. Um, we've both seen the theatrical version that's available in Criterion. And the uh, miniseries is also available in Criterion. And uh, HBO is currently making a remake of this one with Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain. Um, I... I felt... I don't know. I, f- I felt that I was witnessing two terrific performances that's not really about showing off. I mean, there are scenes where they it gets showy, but, you know, you, there is a certain sensation that you feel when you just watch a performance that isn't necessarily showy, but you know it's out there. It's it's terrific. It's it's precise work. It's... It's... Um, it's it evokes empathy from me. It it's believable what they're going through, and I I buying every moment of it. And it's it's as if there is this true relationship dynamic between the two as a couple, where in fact it's not because they're actors. But to see that and to feel my response to it, like you know, um, it is something. I mean, it's not my favorite Bergman. I still go back to um, Autumn Sonata at this point. Oh, it's so because I go backwards. Um, this is a good. Uh, this is a good uh, jump. Uh, uh, bounce back because I really did not love face to face. So this is a really solid one. And uh, Liv Ullman again is this unbelievable person who just pumps out these terrific performances. And to be honest, like the more I go deep into this podcast, I'm. Uh, I'm looking forward to this is not Bergman, but I want to next next um a few weeks. In two weeks, I'm gonna see the new land. In three weeks, I'm gonna see, um, the emigrants. And then the next mm-hmm. season, I'm gonna see the passion of Anna and shame and persona. Mm-hmm. And uh, Liv is the your gal. She is terrific in this film. I. You know, at the time, um, because it was in, when it, when it was ineligible, um, for, um, it was current controversy there, um, mm-hmm. it was ineligible, so it was questioned by filmmakers like Frank Capra and Federico Fellini. Yep. They're demanding the Academy to revise the rules so that scenes from a marriage could be, um, eligible at the Academy Awards, mm-hmm. um, and then also for Best Actress. Yep. Um, there is a legendary a letter that was signed by Pierce um, who um, sent a, I could not find the letter right now but there is a letter where is the letter? <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for it right I'm now looking too. for it as well letter live old man eligible uh, yeah, he, I found it. It's from... Oh, I found it, and it's in the film experience. Oh. Send um, me that link, please. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I'm going to send it to you right now. Um, I'm going to send the image to your chat. I know I'm really saying this while recording. 
Yeah. Well, um, you, they can. Well, and you know, I'm sure everybody watching is going to be like looking this up at the same time, so it can be like yeah. all this together. If you could find it faster <laughs> than we did, then it would be wonderful. Um. All right. So it says here. You seen it? Uh, all right. Yes. So January 17, 1975, the bo- the Board of Governors Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, 1938 Melrose Avenue, Los Angeles, California. Gentlemen, of course, because old white men. We, the understand, respectfully request that you make Liv Ullman eligible for Academy Award consideration. We request you change the rules, which now makes ineligible her performance in scenes from a marriage. Sincerely. And we're now listing the names. Jenna Rollins, Joan Woodward, Liza Minnelli, Elizabeth Taylor, Sylvia Sidney, Diane Carroll, Lauren McCall, Jane Fonda, Glenda Jackson, Ellen Burstyn, Shirley MacLaine, Jennifer Jones, Ingrid Bergman. You see, three of these women were nominated for Best Actress and they want Liv Ullman in for Best Actress. And they're right. She's... I do do love this list so much, but also I love it even more because they are correct. (laughs) Yeah. She should be... I understand that there are like you know real rules about TV getting in or not getting in like that is valid. But on the other hand, like it's sort of wild that she is not. And this was another instance I kind of love. I kind of love when critics just decide that we're going to nominate a thing if it's not eligible. Like she won Best Actress for National yeah, Society in New York, and um, B.B. Anderson won Supporting Actress at the National Society for her one scene in this which is so good and also i think the only time i've ever seen her in color so that was really wild (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it's such a great list it's such a great like just declaration of support on behalf of your fellow actress and i want it is kind of interesting to imagine how much this was sort of responsible for the nominations that face to face got I, I'm not speculating in like any way because I, I haven't seen that movie, so I'm not going to speculate in relation to its quality. But I know I know you weren't a, as huge a fan of it. But it's interesting to wonder how much it helped that this. Uh, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, and also Bergman kind of smartened up, you know, because this was, this was <laughs> yeah. debuted first in TV and then in film. Now, after that, he made deals that, okay, this is going to be like for TV as well, but we're going to premiere it in cinemas first. Yes. Thank God he did that for um, for Fanny and Alexander. I was thinking about that the whole time I was watching this. It's just like to, to, and I think you and Claudio talked about this in that episode as well. And it's like, he learned. He fucking learned. Um. I'm just going to mention something here that the supposed reason that it was disqualified was uh, ineligible is that it was aired on television before it played in cinemas. But that time, it did not necessarily render a film ineligible. It was because the TV broadcast occurred a year before its theatrical debut. So, but you know, there's a lot of drama in there. Um, Yeah. But... Um, you know, yeah. good work <laughs> as is its own reward and kind of will often help a movie last. I, you know, it's when you were like asking about this and you're organizing stuff and I realized, oh, wait, this is the scenes of marriage here. I think this was like one of the first things I messaged you about, like, can we do this too? 
Um, especially since a lot of those shortlisted films proved weirdly hard to find, but, um, or at least that I, I had trouble. Maybe you have them all hidden away somewhere you didn't tell me, but I had no. a hard time tracking. I, I know I'm, I had a, it seems hard to find any of the other nominees, but Scenes of a Marriage is right there in the Criterion channel. And how could you not watch it? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's one of the most well-known foreign language films from that year. I said from Amarcord. So, and so you got to talk about it, even though it was submitted in 73 um, for foreign language film. Um, yeah. That is a Scenes from a Marriage. Again, it's available on Criterion channel both the theatrical cut and the miniseries cut um recommended enough um, yeah and i would can i make one more just like plug for the movie real quick just you know we were talking about the woman we were talking about erlen josephson and i think um oh sven nyquist who's a cinematographer who shot all basically all of bergman's movies as far as i can tell um what we were talking about with the deluge about like choreographing all these great battles. I think it's amazing to watch scenes of a marriage and how the camera will like just shoot their arguments and their conversations. And since a lot of these scenes don't really have a ton of cuts. And if I remember reading this correctly, excuse me, one of the episodes in the television version is all in one shot. But there's just a different way of thinking about like choreographing battle scenes. Like there's something just really fascinating to watch about. Like especially, I think in the part where she learns that um, he is maybe not going to be sticking around and has somebody um, in his back pocket, um, where it feels like that's all just kind of like the camera's just flinging between the two of them. And it'll sometimes just zoom in on her having this incredibly devastated reaction or his impassivity will be like in the corner of the, like, I'm, I'm, I don't think that's even a real shot I'm evoking. I don't know, but there's something just very impressive about just how tight this movie is. And even then it's still, it's like, it, like, I am curious. I'm so curious to see what was in the television version. I just want to watch that. Um, but yeah, this is fantastic and like really great filmmaking without that being like as ostentatious as his other movies have rightly allowed themselves to be, um, really great performances, um, that are very human scaled and accessible. Just, I can't, I can't recommend this enough, <laughs> even if it's like two, nearly three hours of basically just a couple people really laying into each other for their faults um, yeah it's, and it's another one that i feel like like watching it's like oh i can see like husbands and wives i can see blue valentine i can see marriage story from here like it's one of those where it's like if you watch it you're gonna see its ancestor or its descendants really clearly it's yeah very clearly. i i i felt marriage story yeah which is not a knack to marriage story. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, film history. Um, a second film that we're going to discuss here is Ali, Fear Eats the Soul from West Germany. Mm -hmm. It premiered in Cannes. It's directed by Rede Werner Fassbinder. 
it's about um an old woman who you know raining so he stops by into a bar not knowing that that bar is um, mostly for arab customers and this was months after the munich um, massacre which um, left uh, a lot of anti-arab rhetoric in germany uh he then brings home ali the name of the one is emmy he brings mm-hmm. ali home because he's the one that paid attention to her and then uh, you know he starts letting him in uh letting him in his in her place um but then you know their relationship is being threatened by everyone because everyone's uh, a little bit racist there so they decided bit. yeah <laughs> Everyone's a little bit racist. Um, so, um, so when that happens and they're trying to throw Ali out, they decided to get married so that they could not throw Ali out. That just angered even more the people around her. Family, neighbors, even store owners. Um, and that also kind of challenges the relationship between Ali and Emmy. So, again, something that I wasn't planning to watch, but because you said um, I did, this is only my second Fassbinder. Um, what do you think of Ali Fear It's a Soul? Um, this is my first Fassbinder movie. Um, wow! Yeah! Well, I, I, this was another one where I saw it was this year, and it's like I have several friends who just bully me every single day for not having watched a Fassbender and now I can show them what what but um I thought this was really gorgeous which is again a you know the the story itself was about some pretty hideous human behavior but I thought their romance was incredibly just wonderful and watching their relationship develop it's very fantastically shot um both of the lead performers are very good the guy is so handsome um I'm just I'm just felt like that needed to be said in any evaluation of the movie um he's really and nice we need at. shower mirror shots more often we do yeah. um and we need him to be full frontal and we need him to like i love that he just seems so comfortable in his own body um that was really nice for him and for, um but it was <laughs> for us I just, yeah for for the world really but yeah i thought this was really lovely and like you know this is a riff on Cirque's All That Heaven Allows, and I was thinking in relation to that and to Todd Haynes' Far From Heaven, which is like another riff on that same movie, and I would not be able to say if I, like, favoritism among those three, but it's just so fun to see what Ali is doing that is just a very distinct flavor on that tale while also totally standing up as its own unique object i just thought it was really wonderful what about you fox and his friends i saw in film school um i don't count films that i've seen in film school because they were required and i was in a weird space when i was in film school and i don't want to watch films yep i want to make films i want to talk to people about films i don't want to watch films (laughs) especially in class um but i saw it and i thought Okay, this is weird. But 
that weird isn't necessarily a bad weird. It's a good weird because it's... All right, there's something happening here in the direction of it. But, you know, for me, the way I process it, it's like, this is weird. And then um, I tried to watch The Marriage of Maria Brown for the 1979 episode. But I was already having sleeping problems then. So I wasn't able to watch it. So this was my second. And um, thank you for recommending this because I love this film. It's so good. It's <laughs> I, I, unbelievably good. You know, it's almost like scenes from a marriage as well in the sense that it's very economical filmmaking. But it doesn't take away from the artistry and the honesty that it has on paper and on the screen. There's so much to mine. And also about two people like in love or falling out of love or somewhere in love, the spectrum of love. Mm-hmm. And it's so compelling to watch. Like I was just like rooting so hard for these two to be together yes. um, because of the genuineness of how the, how Emmy was depicted. So it's, it's in the writing and also the actress, any of the actress yes. is a, uh, what name of the actress is a uh, Bridget uh, Mira. Bridget. Yes. She is, unbelievable here another um, very cinematically expressive face i just love watching her yes that face is a face that is for <laughs> cinema and for tv now as well of course um it's unbelievable and then her relationship with um with ali played by el hadi ben Sadam, is captivating it's not in the body made for cinema Let's go with that. And yes. then also um, not patronizing or condescending to both parties. Um, it's really respectful of the relationship that the two had. Really nuanced and um, sometimes overt as well, but necessary in depicting the yes. prejudice that they have experienced, especially Ali, you know. But um, yes, and the way those responses are shown in their relationship in their faces it's it's so vivid so striking and then when it starts to feel like they're falling out of love it's something that i feared because i've been so invested in this relationship because the film made us um showed us in a very matter of fact but still not um hiding away it's uh more peculiar sensibilities in the filmmaking that these are two people who needed someone and they came together it's as if they were meant to be together and despite all that it's a beautiful love story it's it's mm-hmm. it's so gorgeous and it's so just easy to root for both of them even when they are making differently destructive choices in their relationship like when you know we don't maybe that can be the part that we say for everybody is to find out the specific ways they like hurt each other but it's so like it just feels good to watch which is sort of a weird thing because it's about how they're being sort of attacked from all sides and the the bitchiness of those people is I think it does a good job of sort of showing like bigoted characters without making them cartoons or like make them like the way that they resolve their hatred of um, Ali 
to just being like, well, it's easier for everybody if we just put up with them and kind of low key treat them like shit. Like that was really interesting. But I also, yeah, their relationship is great. Both of those performances are really just lovely and they don't feel like it's sort of, I'm trying to find the right words, but it's like, it's, it feels like they are totally in communication with whatever we've like that Fassbender has elected to use for this movie, but it's very, it does, yeah, I think it's a good movie at being about two people, but also about everybody in their different communities, like the guys that he goes drinking with or her um, co-workers or her awful children. Like there's, there's no, there's no, this is a relation to how I feel about Cirque, but also with this, but there's just no easier way for me to get me on somebody's side than to have their awful children turn against them. It's like, who needs these kids? Just throw them out. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was great. Oh, there was some specific thing I want. Oh, the costumes. The costumes are really great. Um, but like the, the suit that she wears to her marriage ceremony is really great, or all the stuff that they wear at the bars. Like it's just it's just gorgeous. Like not just emotionally, but just to like pause it at any point and just look at the <laughs> image. It's wonderful. Yeah. And also I wanna mention that um scenes from a marriage and Olivier eats his soul. These are two films that um on paper are very melodramatic yes but the way but the treatment of those stories doesn't shy away but uh, doesn't shy away from it but counters it with restraint so as to make us even more engaged because if i think if it's just like you know as is you know just that's just right with the melodramatic tendencies it's too easy to watch for us but with this one, we are being engaged to look closer, to try to be more sensitive and feel what's going on in the scene, to feel for the characters, to hopefully be more uh, understanding of what's going on in the moment right now, to, for us to be more present when we watch those films. I, I love that approach, and it really works well with Ali Fears Eats His Soul. Um despite the number of conversations there, I can say it's a quiet film. Yes. Which um, rem- is beautiful because some of the best moments in the film aren't necessarily the conversations, but the body language before, in between the conversations, like um, on mm-hmm. how... Um, how Emmy and Ali would go up the stairs for the first time that night. It there you feel this um bond already through bot and like the the almost this inhibited excitement to go up the stairs. And then um I don't know, it was it, it's so beautifully captured and directed. I uh I don't know, it makes me hopeful. Maybe I'm Emmy. Whoa <laughs> Somewhere down the line I would meet Someone younger. <gasps> wow. <laughs> Maybe. Well, I mean, no. we, hopefully, yeah, hopefully. Um, or you just need some uh, who, with a connection like that, who cares about the like details? I mean, some details are maybe a little important, but you know, um, yeah, it's such a. You're so right about the. Um, it's not even that the dialogue is necessarily 
like the dialogue is really good but also just the way that they look at each other or all the scenes of them dancing it's so it just yeah it, the dancing is so sweet it's just very romantic but it also you know it it feels like they're actually because of how well it how well it shapes them but also the people around them it feels like their relationship is even more romantic because you get a good sense of what's legitimately at stake for them by doing this um and like you know it's not it's not like leaning a, there are some melodramatic stuff that it's it's really not leaning into there's some stuff that i think it either it's just melodrama traditions or what those um directors do but it's like you know it's certainly I guess I can also relate this to Amarcord, where it's sort of heightened in certain ways, but it never totally feels like it's like defaulting to a certain genre or being reductive for the sense of making this like more digestible for us or easier for us to understand. Like there's, there is, you know, I don't think that we know every single thing about their relationship, but it still feels very well communicated. Like the, this, like what you were talking about, the scene where he's, like the full body mirror of them showering and the way that she feels almost sort of bashful about looking at his body. And it's interesting. It's just interesting to think about what, how much are they, I mean, I think like there's a lot of people who are kind of rudely assuming that she's sort of using him for sex or that they're, that's kind of what their relationship is. And he's going to just take all her money at some point, which is not true, but it's, it, it's just interesting that there are sort of ways that the movie is showing us that we don't even get to see everything that is going on in that house but nevertheless we you know we know who these people are and we know what they think of each other and just how much that means to them and to the world and i thought that it's it's just a really moving movie and it's also if i am not mistaken not that screen time is everything but it is among like it is like the shortest thing that we've watched for this. One hour thirty-three. I would bet that that's probably the shortest thing that we have watched for this. It's certainly shorter than scenes from a marriage or the um, deluge. Yes, <sighs> certainly shorter than that, and it feels yeah. it moves at a very good clip too. So it's like there's just a really good momentum to it. I don't. Yeah, it is. Um, maybe not not to get ahead of how we would rank these, but I think it is maybe my favorite of the things that we have watched. I think I can safely say that, but it is the one that I will probably watch again first, who's to say. But I, it's, yeah. yeah, it's just wonderful. It's in the Criterion channel, so yes, it it's is. available for everyone. All right, so the last film that we watched is Wade about found wanting from the philippines um if you ask me to watch scenes from a marriage and ali fear eats his soul i ask you to watch this one with me because i haven't seen this one as well um this is about it was directed by linda broca it's about um a town just like amarcord um but it focuses on three at least i could say like i don't know maybe maybe four ish um you have um Kuala, who is um, uh, in terms is a, a village idiot. It's a quote-unquote village idiot who wanders around a town um, 
in dirty clothes with no one really caring for her. And then you also have, uh, you also have, what's the name of that? Junior, who is the son of Cesar. Um, Cesar is this uh, hugely popular um, person in the town, rich, famous, successful. His son, Junior, is trying to court Evangeline. Uh, alas. Um, and then you also have Bertong Ketong, who uh, is a leper who attracts Kuala. And then they live in his shack in the cemetery. And then because Junior is concerned with Kuala and Bertong Ketong, they start to have this three like friendship but that aggravates or infuriates Cesar his father and insists that Junior separate from those two um what do you think of Weba found wanting I I will maybe also add to the just the plot summary that Junior is also part of this group of like four Oh yeah, friends who are like, it seems like all they do is just hang out and cause trouble, and it's, you know, he, um, seems like Junior's pretty aware of like, you know, his parents, especially his father's status in the town, but he's also like kind of, their marriage is really not doing well because his dad is a serial womanizer, and he, is just really unimpressed, um. I liked it, and I think it it's interesting, like, I like how you framed it in relation to Amrith's, it kind of feels more like if it was actually just about PETA, or, like, more centralized around him, instead of, like, popping around all the different people that we get to meet in this, this seems like it has a much more central figure, um, and I liked it. I think it, um, I like the ways that it kind of kept changing who its focus was it doesn't feel like there's like i think the the triad of koala and berto and um and junior doesn't really come into play until maybe halfway through um and his friend group sort of keeps shifting as they start to like fight over girls um and his dad is sort of like keeps coming in and out as somebody we need to focus on as just his womanizing but it's interesting, um, which feels like, and not to say interesting is like a cover up for, like they're like it, it is. I liked it. I thought it was good, um, and I, I mean, I guess I want to ask you first, also, what you thought of this because this was your idea. This was your suggestion. Like, how did this? Because you said that you're sort of familiar with it, but you just hadn't seen it yet. <laughs> this is like. So maybe should have watched it by now. Like, tell me, what did you think of this after all the expectations that you have had, all the history? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is Linda Broca, a really political filmmaker. Um, but I've seen most of his works in the eighties, uh, when um, the Philippines was already like halfway through um, a brink of uh, a political overturn. This was done in 74. Uh, 74. Two years after the martial law was declared. 
So censorship was really heavy. Um, Social criticism is heavily coded in the film. You see uh, Cesar who has links to the mayor. I'm surprised they even let the abortion scene at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I, was... I, I, I'm I'm stunned because you know un, you know as of until now abortion is not legal in the Philippines, and it mm. is a a taboo not even like a taboo just a no no to this day, um <laughs> but um for that to be the start and not even like uh you know it's 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 such a central um see, um point that will come back near the end of the film. And then you see poverty and hypocrisy and com- a communal, um, you know, hypocrisy and condemnation and um, the problem with the youth and uh, you know the religious, the religious sector being such a cover up for the communal hypocrisy that I've been talking about. Like there's a lot, of, there's a lot of religious imagery here, which makes sense. Um, and then. The character of uh, it's basically about the outsiders. Um, you know, Koala being a village idiot, as it's called in Wikipedia. Berta as a leper who no one wants to touch, and Junior, who's feeling kind of lost or not as in sync with the group of men because all of them are just like, um, trying to have fun. Um, They're all kind of shitty as people. Yeah, and he's like. I don't want to... I would like to be a little bit better than that, please. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, he also lives in a in a family of very rich family with um, political influence, which <laughs> now I'm thinking and saying it out loud kind of calls back the dictator and his wife at the time, the Marquesses, Imelda and Ferdinand. Um, and... I, I I can't I can't um there's there's so much in it theoretically speaking that I've that's why it's been it's been studied you know the way it's the way of, uh, it uses like triangular blocking every time there's Kuala and Berto and Junior in the same frame it's almost as if they're in a triangular formation um all that blocking production design but for me at least it gave me an insight on um how can you pull off social commentary in a time of heavy heavy censorship because censorship then meant scripts go to the government <laughs> and they get approved they get notes and then they go they get filmed and then they get censored again and how do you create such a um a bold uh, piece of social criticism at the time we you know it's a uh, it's i respect it more than the love it but i see mm-hmm. where they're coming from more as a this is one of the most important films of philippine cinema as it's tagged um but maybe it's also just me um oh this is going to sound like a blasphemy i don't usually love lena broca's works i highly respect them mm-hmm. i mean bong jun ho certainly is influenced by Lena Brock, as he said. But um, he is really sharp on how he creates social commentary through visuals. And that's what I got for this one. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I am not, as far as I know, I, as far as I know, I definitely have not really seen anything else by this director. Um, <clears throat> so I don't have that frame of reference or even like a larger reference for Filipino cinema. Like this is not, this is definitely something I need to just watch more of. Um, and like, just also thank you for recommending this this thing we should watch this because I did like it and I fi I finished like this is certainly the movie I watched the most recently so it's sort of mm. the most like freshly just sitting in my head like we can <laughs> come back tomorrow and I can edit this in feel like so many more thoughts but yeah I liked it and I sort of liked the sort of like portrait of the town as you know like what you were saying about all of the hypocrisies and all of the way they just sort of like will tolerate certain really cool behaviors like all of the kind of all of the scenes that koala is in in the first half are just people treating her like shit or in one case almost killing her and then she just really bounces back because she doesn't really um and it's not even like an indomitable spirit way it's she just um I don't know. Not like she's really like responding to what was done to her. Like she just, <laughs> she almost drowns and she just throws rocks at the people. Um, huge rocks too. Yeah. Um, which is great. Like good for her. But yeah, I think it's good at like a kind of unsubtle social critique with really like when the images are really striking they're very striking and when it wants to like kind of sock it to you narratively it knows how to do it like i um i think there's some stuff like the rivalry over the like the couple girls that like yeah. it, when it gets so about the 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 three of koala and berto and junior that it can mm -hmm. it kind of feels like the other narratives recede a little bit yeah like when it like at the very least like it feels like the social strata of the whole town is just something that the movie wants you to think about all the time even when you're with three other people or two other people like it's it feels like a good it does a good job of that thing where it's like everybody like the protagonists are a little bit lonely but they're never actually alone um like i i I, yeah, I was pretty into this, and in the same way that we've been like telling or asking our listeners to like send us articles about like someone's other stuff, I would really love to like just you know hear more about how this movie was received in um, in the Philippines and like what its legacy has been, and just kind of learn. Like I, this makes me very just curious <laughs> in a lot of ways, and I will. I'm just looking forward to seeing more stuff. What about, I don't even know what to ask for. <laughs> Tell me more no. about what you think of this. Cause I feel like you did a really good job. Like I, you know, I, you laid out your view of this. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah. Well, in terms of legacy, it won and in, in the, in the famous awards where the, the biggest award at the time, it won six out of its eight nominations, mm -hmm. um, including picture actor, actress and director. Um, oh, wow. I kind of don't agree with actor, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, <laughs> nothing against... Um, like, nothing against him. It's just, I think... We've he got seen, better with age. 
Well, it's even just one of those things of like, you know, like teenaged boy that you hang the movie on. Like, it's not necessarily yeah. asking him to do a whole lot, even if like that character is certainly interesting and he is like cute. Um, you know, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing against him. I just like, you know, that that is surprising. Um, but yeah. not like, you know, I don't know. When, it's not like, oh, I don't think it's like bad, but it's certainly, you know, yeah. he's not a lot. He's not I, who I would recommend the movie on. Yeah. And then Eddie Garcia, Cesar, the, the father is uh, played by Eddie Garcia, who just passed away like um, three years ago. He mm-hmm. lived until like 93 and was still active. And he died after an accident at, on the set. Oh, no. Yeah, so, you know, he is really one of the legends, living legends. And I was personally wanting to hurry up because I want to get him on a series that I was trying to work on. Like, I'm going to write something, a role for you, sir. But then he passed away. But he is a great... And it's always surreal when I see him young. (laughs) 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 Because I always know him as a grandpa. Mm -hmm. And then um, Lolita Rodriguez is... um, before the 70s, you know, before because the 70s and the 80s, there is a rivalry between like Nora Honor and Vilma Santos as like the best actress in the Philippines ever. Before that, there was Lolita Rodriguez. So, but because her films was mainly in the 50s and the 60s, um, I didn't really know much about her filmography. I didn't really know much about like, what made her great and what made her such a legend. You know, she... At the famous awards, she, I'm counting 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. She got 16 famous nominations for actress. <laughs> Jesus. And um, and she's, she's a legend. At the time, she was considered the best actress in the Philippines. And at the time, I, f- I heard, I saw that uh, this is considered a transformative role for her. Mm-hmm. Because she is a Filipino-American. So, you know, like, um, so she has this uh, physical implications of, like, you know, elite in the Philippine society at the time. And for her to go into this direction of, like, a really dressed down, cut hair, ugly, dirty, um, it, I'm surprised that it, and, you know, it it's a testament to her that for me, it didn't feel that it didn't feel stereotypical even though in the earlier parts of the film there is a ten- tendency for it to be but when it revealed itself to be so much deeper and darker near the end it's almost like a huge payoff to that character which um made me admire and ho- that makes me uh, you know sad that we don't have proper film preservation here because i now only know her films as titles i don't know where to find them it's probably somewhere rotting in vinegar syndrome. <laughs> oh god! Um, but I really want to see more of her works, and um, with Mario O'Hara as Bertong Ketong, makeup's not great, but he's such a versatile person um, as actor, director, and doing it sometimes like at the same time, or maybe not. Um, mm-hmm. The three characters I had huge empathy with. Um, the ending was devastating. Yes. Um, like, uh, and you know what? What I thought. Um, by the way, Lena, this one 
this one badly needs restoration. <laughs> yes. Really needs restoration. But as I can say, as of the moment, on the Criterion channel, two of Linda Broca's works are there. Manila and the Claws of Light and Inshang. Um, I haven't seen Inshang, but Manila and the Claws of Light. If this is if if Wade Bot Found Wanting is considered one of the best, Manila and the Claws of Light is considered the best. Which again, I don't agree because I have my own personal favorites, but that's fine. Mm-hmm. But it's the one that um, is remastered by Martin Scorsese's film Foundation. Um, so there's that. Um, what I realized when I was watching this film is that it almost made me sad that you know I'm I, you know in, in in larger scale things that you know I'm doing this podcast to cover world cinema, mm-hmm. and I realized I haven't really covered a lot of my own local cinema, mm-hmm. and uh, it's. Uh, I think it's a it's 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 a point it's a it's a point of um, I don't know it's a reflection for me, and at the same time, um, where is Philippine cinema and world cinema? It's certainly not on the top. Yep, it's definitely. <laughs> it's not like you are running across like Filipino nominees in this category or really any category, a lot. Yeah. But, you know, Philippine like. This is, if you are looking for an excuse to watch Filipino cinema, this is certainly um, a good way to, to do, do it. it. Exactly. Just make that part of the rubric. Like, come in with all your upcoming guests and be like, we have to watch three. <laughs> a requisite, movies. you guys. Yes, you're going to go through yeah. all of, oh my gosh, all of Nino Broca's movies. You're going to do that. Yeah, and, uh, but... <laughs> I, again, I, I I deeply respect this film for what it did, and um, it still rings true. Unfortunately, um, the communal bullying is more on social media now than physical, but the hypocrisy stays the same. Um, I loved how there's this one scene when they were talking about, you know, as they were talking about the women that they've. It's it's in the wake. And they're talking yeah. about like the women, and there's the photo of the president up there, and because mm-hmm. the president at the time also had the accusations of um, philandering, and that's the only way you could speak about that is when you have a scene about men, dirty men, talking about the women they they fuck outside of the marriages. They'll have the president's photo there, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, Nino, you're dirty. You know, I had that feeling when I was watching. It's like, you girl, go girl. You know circumvent those censorship rules love it and um and the character of cesar was really dirty because you know aside from hooking up with random women he also has this a uh, regular 13 year old uh, girl at the other yeah. time which is not seen but you know it's a regular and um it's a uh, it's it's like a disgusting thing you know it's it's almost as if like if it's shown now it can be this um it it can be put under the trope of the men is trash men are mm-hmm. trash because like the way also it engages with gender is mm-hmm. also something that wow you know 70s we're doing this in the 70s <laughs> yeah it definitely is um i didn't i will also say that i didn't i don't know i did not know the censorship laws that were in place while i was watching this but it also like so, the 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 gag about the president's picture that that is who that was, um, while they're talking about all the women they fuck, um. But I will 
yeah, as someone who didn't know about those laws, this is this just does a very good job of communicating every single thing it wants to talk about without seeming like super restricted in that way. Like I wouldn't, not to say I would never guess because I feel like I'm gonna learn that eventually, but it's certainly like you know it it gets it gets the point across without yeah. um, without seeming unduly like hemmed in by that. Yeah, without getting imprisoned as well, because like it's so subtly placed there in the production design. But you know that was the time when filmmakers were being imprisoned, um, <laughs> journalists were being disappeared or murdered or mutilated, and yeah. for this is this is brave work from him. And um, who knows? We because this is the it is now the seventies and like sixties, fifties, forties. Like I have two seasons left, mm-hmm. so. I'm excited to see what comes next because I'm going to start. Ooh, should I save my plans now? But You are getting very close to the end of this because it's not yes! like this. Because it's like there's, there's only like, what, four years in the 50s where this category was in place. So Yeah, and then I, I will add the honorary winners, but it would still be just one. So two more seasons. Yeah. God, who even were like, it was all like... Italian movies too anyways like it was just Italian and French and a sprinkle of Japanese yeah it's like Vittorio De Sica and yeah he's yeah there is not a whole lot left and not a whole lot of countries that would be highlighted if like just only talking about the winner so I would that sounds fun as fuck yes if you're looking for for guest hosts. Oh, all of, them, of course. You know, yeah. I, I would be happy to. <laughs> this is really fun. Um, this is really fun. Yeah. Certainly so, a lot of movies I would like to talk about. Yes. A lot more. A lot more when so, we go beyond the Oscars. So that's so like movies. the whole um, film thing we've talked about. There's a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to ask now you, Nick, um, Amarcord. Does it stand with this film year? Do you think it's a deserving winner in this category? I think it's an incredibly deserving winner in this category. Um, and let me even... Yeah, I think it's really fantastic. I don't, you know, I don't... I haven't seen a lot of the other stuff in this period of the category, so I don't know if this is, like, inordinately, like, above what their normal standards are. I'm sure you have a much better sense of that, but just, you know... 1974 to me generally just sounds like oh this is a very like famously fantastic year for movies and a pretty good one for the academy awards as well and this just sort of feels to me like it's part of a trend of like just phenomenal filmmaking from this point in cinema i really loved it and all of the the lineup itself is really good all the stuff that the extracurriculars were really great um so yeah i think this is fantastic and i think the whole crop is among like some of the better lineups just generally that i have that i so far have encountered i thought it was great how about you i thought amarco was a great winner um i feel like i'm gonna love it more in the end of time the next for sure few rewatches um but as it stands it's so beautifully done like as not even just like as a winner of this category but just like as a filmmaker opening up i i felt such a such opening up 
of the filmmaker. And I am always appreciative when that happens because it doesn't always happen that the filmmaker lets his guard or her guard down and share this part of his life. And it doesn't even feel like, then what? It felt um, for a reason why am I seeing this? And, you know, there's going to be... I'm gonna start. Um, I'm gonna love to dig deeper into this film because it's its legacy, and I'm glad you know that we were able to converse about this film, um, and as as ourselves because, like I said, I have trepidations with the legacy, and how do we approach this film? But we were able to speak with it, um, as you know, as our first time watching, and like, how did we respond to it? And um, I'm glad that this one. Um, so I think with that being said. I'm going to ask us to rank our five nominees here. So mm-hmm. your five, my five, your five, my five. What's your number five? The truce. <laughs> yeah. What is also my number five? The yep. truce. Your four. Probably the deluge. My four is Cat's Play. That's fair. Your three. I think my number three is Cat's Play. My number three is, wait, what's my number three? <laughs> I forgot my own ranking. Um, my number three is La Combloucien. Okay. You're two and one. I think La Combloucien is my number two, although on a different day it might be Cat's Play. Um, and then my number one is Emmercourt. Yeah, my number two is The Deluge, and not because of Daniel Obrixky alone. But it's and a good number reason. one is Amor. I mean, I try to um, set aside my queerness. I never <laughs> um, but that's also, Amarcord is also my number one. We've seen three other films Scenes from a Marriage, Ali, Fear Eats a Soul, and Wade But Found Wanting. Are any of these three going to make to your five? Making your um, five if you had the cho- chance. Scenes of a marriage and Ali fear eats the soul absolutely would. Um, over you know, my over my five and four of the category, they absolutely would toward the truce. Um, and I sus maybe Wade but found wanting would be in my lineup as well. I think I would need to maybe just mull it over a little bit longer, but I think I can, I would very clearly put scenes from a marriage and Ali fears the soul in my own lineups. I don't know that I would rank either of them over Amarcord, but I think they're both really great. And like that's a top easy top three for me would be those two yeah. movies. Uh-huh, yeah. Um may I if I given the eight that we've seen, my five would be the deluge. My four would be scenes from a marriage. Three would be Wade But Found Wanting. Two is Amarcord. And one mm-hmm. is Ali Fear It is So. I'm so happy you made me watch it. Yeah, it's so old. I probably have other friends I sh- you could thank for that as well. So, um, you know, Caden Gardner, thank you for doing that for me. But yeah, like, and everybody else I've ever met who was like a watch fast vendor, but him especially because he watched it with me. Um, so I owe him a high five. But yeah, that's it's so good, and I can't wait to watch more Fast Benders. I really want to watch Fox and his friends. And um, oh, what 
just all of them, I guess. I'm trying to think of a specific title that I'm most like excited for, but it just seems like, you know, he made so he made a solid amount of movies before he died, which is kind of amazing because he died so young. But yeah, I'm so eager to check out the rest of his filmography um, because it seems like there was a lot <laughs> happening there. Yeah, and I'm also looking forward to seeing more Fassbender, um, Shame, X-Men First Class. I'm just kidding. It's Michael Fassbender. <laughs> all right, so <laughs> yeah, that's... Listen, um, we can watch all kinds of people. Yeah, so, and Nick, thank you again. Thank you so much for joining me for this expansive conversation on 74. It was really... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was really nice to have you on this one because um, I think I've been trying to like where can nick be and this felt like the right time so i'm so happy that you're here and you and um i'm looking forward to you be for looking forward to having you back and again can you tell the listeners where can they find you on the internet well thank you again for inviting me i'm glad you i'm so glad you found room for me that you found room for me here because all the stuff that we watched was great i thought this was just wonderful um and you are wonderful um anytime um, I can be found at the film experience. I have a personal WordPress called it's just like the movies.com, which I am hoping will get more activity soon. And that is pretty much it. Um, as far as places to find me, um, we'll, we'll see what the future holds. Maybe I'll be at nine other websites by if, if we ever, if I ever get to come back and I can give another update. But that's about it for me. Um, and, oh, and I'm on Twitter at um, at Nick T zero zero seven eight three. Um, that's I think that's about it. I think that's everywhere that I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Digitally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just thank you so much. This was really really wonderful, and I. Yeah, I just love this, and um, and also I'm excited to listen to the rest of your season because this has been a really great group and like you know kicking it off with fucking isabel sandoval is oh a very God. high bar but you know i'm i'm i just genuinely am happy to be a part of this um yeah you know what yeah when i and i had her on the show and i'm like oh nick's gonna love this yeah. and and i was I, say I, I was i was holding it in because no one no one knew that she would be my guest for a month oh shit what one person too. knew that she's gonna be my guest, but that person did not know which episode she would be in. Okay. So it was still like a surprise for everyone, but um, yeah, it's like this has been such a great season so far, and every season is great because every time I get to talk with people from all over the world about these wonderful films, and even not so wonderful films, it's fine as long as we talk about films, it's always wonderful. So yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Carla Sohana. This podcast at One Inch Barrier. This podcast is everywhere again this Sunday. A third bonus episode of the 2018 retrospective would be coming. Um, at the time of recording, it's already uploaded. It's just scheduled. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm wishing you all well. This is a goodbye for now, and uh, see you next time. Together, let's break the one-inch barrier. <laughs>